Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cognitive Recalibration Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shravan. We do have Tarun with us, so it's the return of Hello, Tarun to the I'm podcast back. after a week off. Why was I not here last week? I was busy. I couldn't come. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that was your excuse. It was a vague. I had, it was very vague. Yeah, I had something on that day. I think you guys were recording and I was out. Yes, yeah. yeah. You did have COVID before that, though. I so. did, but uh, this was post-COVID, yeah. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so we are continuing our Lord of the Rings reviews, and we're we're here at the end now. Uh, we're at Return of the King, so we've got Basca returning. He was in both of the previous episodes. Welcome, Basca. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. And uh, we've got Bhargav returning. So he was in our Fellowship episode. He also took a break for the two towers, but he's he's back for this one. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. We'll do a bit of background. Um, I actually have a bit about... We didn't talk too much about the box office of these movies, so I've got a bit of some stats about um, the whole trilogy. And uh, then we'll do non-spoilers in case someone still hasn't seen this movie. We'll keep it pretty brief. And then, like we did last time, we'll do spoilers. So background-wise, so this came out in 2003. And box office-wise, what do you think it did? So we did Fellowship was uh, close so, to nine hundred million. Yeah. So last time I think we we might have actually said Two Towers did less than Fellowship, but uh, it was the other way around. So Fellowship did eight hundred ninety-seven million. Yeah. Two Towers did nine hundred forty-seven million. But this one, it did one point one billion. Nice. Which obviously is the highest of the trilogy, and at that time it was one of the highest-grossing movies ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was I think it was like the fifth movie to get to a billion ever. So that there hadn't been that many movies before this that actually got there. In terms of the total trilogy, so uh, budget-wise, total trilogy was two hundred eighty-one million. The 
which is, I mean, it's a lot, but the most recent movies have been like one movie's cost about 250 million. I think Thor Love and Thunder costs 250 million. Uh, and it's trash. <laughs> yeah. It certainly doesn't look good at these movies <laughs> either. Total box office wise for the whole trilogy is almost 3 billion, 2.9 billion. And that puts it second in terms of highest grossing trilogies. So what do you think the first one is? MCU. No, oh, tri- trilogy. Trilogy. Specifically trilogies. Specifically trilogies. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, what other trilogies, film trilogies have been out there that, uh, as- that would be, yeah, Captain America trilogy. Oh, maybe the no Godfather trilogy. Uh, so or Star Wars. Uh, it is yeah. one of the Star Wars trilogies. Star it's Wars. probably the prequels. No, it's the sequels. So it's the latest ones. Oh, really? Oh, but yeah. they're trash too. <laughs> <laughs> so well, they've yeah. made four hundred uh, four point four seven billion worldwide. Big asterisk on that because the first movie, Force Awakens, made two of that four. So. Okay, so yeah. steady, steady decline <laughs> after that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, really, that's almost the complete reverse of Lord of the Rings, where it's kind of increasing. Yeah, because the effort was- and the amount of uh, quality is kind of get, uh, kind of layering on top of each other. Whereas, yeah, the modern finishing returns on on Star Wars. Yeah, the modern blockbusters are having this kind of yeah decaying effect. Maybe if they end up actually doing three Avatar movies, then oh, this then, might be beaten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're doing like five, so it's not going <laughs> to. Does your like the thing that you have there, does it, if there's more than, like, let's say the Fast and Furious movies. No, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. So you fi- have to have strictly three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Toy Story was the highest. Toy Story was the highest, yeah. but then they made four. So Okay. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And third is Hobbit. So second is Lord of the Rings. Third is Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't make many just pure trilogies anymore. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Fourth is Sam Raimi, Spider-Man. Other facts. So... If we go through each of the movies, so in 2001, Fellowship came out. It made $897 million. Was that the highest grossing movie of that year? Which year? 2001. Yeah, 2001. Uh, no. Ooh, I, so would, what, I would hazard a guess and say, just purely from the Chinese film industry, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. No. no. Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter. So Harry Ooh. Potter and Philosopher's Stone was the highest grossing movie. Uh, so it made $974 million. So about a... Hundred million more than that's, this. Yeah, I think that's understandable. Two thousand and two was Two Towers. That was the highest grossing movie of two thousand and two. Uh, so it beat Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets only made eight hundred seventy. I'm sure it beat Attack of the Clones as well. <laughs> yeah, Attack of the Clones was the fourth highest in that year, and the third was Spider Man. Sam Raimi's first Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. Two thousand and three. That's when we get to Return of the King. It was the highest grossing movie of that year by quite a distance. The second was Finding Nemo with eight hundred seventy one. Gosh, those four or five years, like from 2000 onwards, straight bangers, like full of great movies. Yeah. yeah. Then you got the Pirates trilogy as well. It was just like- Yeah, so Pirates came- The first Pirates movie came out in 2003 as well. Yep. Uh, and that was the fourth highest of that year. And also you got Matrix Reloaded, Ma- Matrix Revolutions. Matrix Reloaded was the third. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Batman and Robin, obviously sixth. <laughs> that was 1999. Seven, I think. 1997. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. By Trey Banger. Obviously, yeah. obviously <laughs> like 1997. It was still writing. That's how much of a bag <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, and looking at 2001, actually, so Harry Potter was the highest. Fellowship was the second. Monsters, Inc. came out Ooh, in 2001. Yes, amazing. And then Shrek, the first Shrek, came yep, out in yep, 2001. It yep. was like CG explosion, actually. Yeah. People love the first Shrek still. It's like a... The first track is yeah. is good. Yeah. The first track is actually 
Shrek Quite 2 cool. is good as well. Yeah. I like, I like Shrek. I like, yeah. yeah. Shrek 3 is a bit of a downturn. Yeah. Yeah, a bit suspect. Yeah. And Puss in Boots is... Shrek 4 is not good. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Christmas special is just... I haven't seen that one. I'm pretty sure there's a fifth <laughs> There's a fifth Shrek as well. Is there a fifth one? Shrek the fifth. Yeah. Is that... Shrek Never After or whatever it was? Like, yeah. I thought that yeah. was the fourth one. That was the one. fourth one. Uh, yeah. Which was one where he goes into an altered dimension. Oh. That's the fourth one, I think. Yeah, with Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. Right. That's the fourth one. Shrek and then, and then Forever like After. A, yeah. yeah. And then there's yeah. a Christmas... And there's Puss in Boots spin-off. Um, Puss in Boots was Puss in Boots. I didn't yeah. like Puss in Boots. They're making a second one for that. Yeah. They are, yeah. That's yeah. A, that was all right. Probably a lesson yeah. in when, when to end a series. Yeah. It's probably yeah. <laughs> should be learned there. Looks like we need to do an episode on Shrek at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to Return of the King. So the runtime theatrical was 201 minutes, which it, in itself is a very Ooh, long movie. Gosh, 3 hours and 21 minutes. Yeah, yeah. that's nuts um, for theatrical. Extended edition, as we found out last week, was <laughs> very, very long. So 252 minutes. And just to put yeah. this into context, what we've been through in the last month or so in terms of runtime. So we've watched Fellowship of the Ring extended, which was 228 minutes. Two Towers extended, which was 235 minutes. And then this. So altogether, 715 minutes, 11 hours and 55 minutes. So almost 12 hours of Film. Pure sex. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. They're long movies. And I started to, definitely last week, I was like, this is long. <laughs> it's very, very this, long. Yeah. yeah. Return of the King's really long. Yeah. There's a lot in there, yeah. uh, to be fair. But it's, if you yeah. haven't seen it before, probably just watch the theatrical version, to be honest. Cause, or watch it like it's, a, like it's a TV show and like watch it an hour at a time. Yeah. Watch each disc. Because each disc is about two hours. Mm. Watch each, yeah. each disc. And we haven't talked about the awards that this movie or this trilogy has won. Oh, yes. So yeah, the Academy Awards. Yeah. Looking at the Academy Awards, Fellowship won four Academy Awards, Two Towers won two, and Return of the King won 11. And it actually won every award that it was nominated for. Yeah. Yep. And it was, I think, uh, so the awards that it won. So it got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Makeup, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. So yeah, that's everything it was nominated for. If Lord of the Rings was made today and they nominated for the Oscars, it wouldn't have won all those awards. It yeah. wouldn't have won possibly it, it would have won Best Visual Effects, but I don't think it would have won anything else other than that. It definitely wouldn't have won Best Picture. Yeah, it was an interesting time. Like it's They used to be- actually give awards to movies that people watched, but it's now gone away from I, that. I don't know if they used to. I think this is the only circumstance where a movie was extremely popular and it won Best Picture. I, I, I do remember like actually watching the Academy Awards in 2004 and living through the hype of Return of the King. I initially thought it was just like a small fandom that we were talking like uh, kids in high school and that kind of stuff. But watching the watching the awards ceremony, even before then, you look at like the worldwide premieres that were going around. We were actually in the US when this film came out. Mm. Or we were overseas and we, by the time we watched it, we were in the US. And even there, it was actually quite the talk of the town. And people were like talking about, have you seen Lord of the Rings? You know, it's it's like everyone had to see the finishing. It was like the cultural film. The film to be like the film that came around as the culmination or the best ending film. And and it's but actually quite rare to say that a film is renowned to have a good ending, because nowadays that's few and far between. Really yeah. hard to get. But yeah. like big movies that that have come after that, that there's been lots of hype about. Like even Avatar, which 
Didn't win. Highest grossing film of all time. Didn't win. Didn't win. Famously. Avengers- it, it, it was nominated, though, but yeah. didn't win. Avengers Endgame didn't even get nominated, yeah. I don't think. No. Um, which is also the so biggest Black move. Panther did get nominated? Yeah, so that had a huge push, but yeah. didn't, didn't win it. So I don't think they give Oscars to these kind of movies anymore. Yeah. It would be more- well, yeah, which is fair enough. They, mm. they cater to a different crowd. It's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And I, I think yeah. like the comic book and superhero adaptations today probably are, are, are being considered by the Academy the same way that fantasy would have been considered before Lord of the Rings came into the picture. Because fantasy was never considered ever for Academy Award nominations. It was just considered like, oh, okay, it's fun to make these films and show, uh, you know, the, the audience will be children or something. But I think the, like, one, the Academy doesn't necessarily represent the zeitgeist of yeah. filmgoers. It's more so a group of, you could say, film movie stalwarts that work in the industry. But also, at the time, it, it, Fellowship only had won one Academy Award for Best uh, Visual Effects, I believe, in 2001. Like, only won yeah. one or two. Uh, it, won, it won four, so, won four but they're yeah. all like... So cinematography, makeup, original score, and visual effects. Right, and Two Towers was similar. It didn't. It didn't necessarily Anyone too. sweep any yeah. everything. It was like Return of the King kind of represented the whole trilogy. Yeah, I think they gave it to the Return of the King. It's like this is a. It's not necessarily like Just this is this the best movie. movie. Yeah. It's this is for the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. it's an accomplishment yeah. across the across the three. A couple more stats. So it's the second highest grossing movie to win Best Picture. What's the first for inflation or not? no? This is unadjusted, unadjusted, but adjusted would be the same. It'd be the same even if it was adjusted. So Titanic, oh, yeah, okay. is yeah. the highest yeah. grossing, oh wow, best picture winner. So two point two billion. Um, that's unadjusted as well for inflation. That's so ridiculous. Um, so that obviously Was Gone did. with the Wind win an Oscar. Uh, I thought that's the highest grossing field with adjusted. With adjusted, adjusted. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it won best picture. Maybe it, maybe it did. So. It would be uh, that that would obviously be at the top then, and it's also only the second sequel to win Best Picture. So the only other sequel that's won Best Picture was Godfather Part Two. Yeah, that's nuts. And I think the the only other when when Lord of the Rings won all eleven Academy Awards, I think it is one of three that have won eleven awards. I think it's Ben Hur and Titanic, and both of those were clean sweep as well. So they won all the awards. That the were awards, yeah. Wow, it's yeah. great to have that. In. I don't think anything's beaten that, right? No, no. I don't think anything. I don't think anything will beat it. Yeah, I think yeah. So yeah, that's what I had in terms of the stats. So obviously, very successful film, uh, both critically and commercially. So we can jump into our thoughts on the movie, uh, positives and negatives. We'll start with Basker. Like I said, yeah, I was saying before, this is probably the penultimate and the most prime example of a good ending, many good endings, and it's especially how to write a third film. It doesn't suffer from the, the same problems that modern-day films suffer, where it's like the, the story, the pacing, the characters, everything is still fresh. You still care for the characters. You're still emotionally invested in the outcome. Technically speaking, this is one of the most technically gorgeous films in cinema. When you're watching it in a home theater or you're watching it, in, if you're lucky enough to watch it on theater, the, the the visual effects don't suffer from the same aging problems that Fellowship and Two Towers suffered from. I feel like this is where the film effects and the visual effects actually stand the test of time. They will last forever. Because they're, they're, they're at that time where CGI was really getting photorealistically comparable to actual images on screen. Mm. And the fight scenes, like the siege, the, some of the siege scenes that you see in this film are 
too epic for the you know just the, just the size of your TV or two or the size of your theater. It was so well done. Yeah, props to Peter Jackson, props to the team. They really gave, and also the actors, amazing, amazing work. Really, really good film. And I think it's going to be hard to when you watch something so good, you kind of feel sad when it finishes because it's like nothing can really measure up to it. Um, and in a way, I'm, I'm trying to look at this film in isolation, but you really have to kind of look at the whole trilogy when you're watching the end of this film. It's just like there's so much work that everyone put in for the whole all three films. This film almost kind of carries the other two uh, and brings it brings it across the finish line. So it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Just on that, the amount of work that went into this movie. So 40,000 pieces of armor were created. 19,000 costumes Amazing. were created. There was unique sets for each part of Middle Earth. Unique designs for each of the creatures that Tolkien in, in Tolkien's world, and we discussed this last time. Not everything was described in the books, so they did take some creative liberty mm-hmm. and use their own imaginations for some of them. Uh, some of the sequences, like that Balrog sequence that we we talked about in uh, Two Towers, yes, yes, um, the the opening sequence there, and also the in Fellowship uh, before they go into the mines of Moria, the um, the creature that's in the in the water. Oh, the watch in the water, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even that was apparently it wasn't described completely by Tolkien and they kind of just used their imagination to come up with the design of that creature. So uh, it's it's a combination of creativity as well as, I guess, respecting the source material in a, in the best way that they could. Did you have any other positives to add? You miss, you miss Bougie here. Oh, you're just going random. Just, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought we'd go. Yeah, just yeah. picking... No, nah, no, nah, it pretty much covers all the positivities. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's much more to add. I, I do really, yeah, it's it's a very good movie. It it does finish up the trilogy quite well. It's probably the hardest of all three of them to for just like a casual viewer to watch, I would say. I would say Fellowship's the easiest to access if you're just a casual viewer. And then it progressively gets- Progressively gets harder to ca- harder to watch. But if you're into the trilogy, this is probably your favorite one, I would say. Like I said before, though, it's quite long. The, the extended cut, is that what we watched? Yeah. yeah. So I would recommend splitting it up if you're watching that. But it's probably worth watching the extended cut if you're really into it because it's got some good extra stuff in it. And Budgie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's really nothing else I could yeah. say. It's like it's all positives, really. Um, I guess I'll dive deeper in the spoiler review, but like yeah. I don't know. Everything's just good music. Yeah, sets. We haven't really talked about the music, um, but it's amazing um, across all the movies. Yeah, it's just. I think in this one particularly, I think it it definitely culminates. Like, I don't know if they were saving some of their best tracks Mm. for this one, but you can definitely show a lot of the hype that this movie gets comes from a lot of the scores that Howard Shaw produced uh, and wrote. Um, And yeah, just everything. Like, everything is almost dialed up a notch when it comes to this movie all the orcs are sexy there's like so many fight scenes where they are sexy <laughs> my favorite orc is in this movie so i'm very happy um oh yes yeah we'll talk um, about him but yeah it's just like yeah there's there's really i don't think i have any negatives at all everything's positive just to just to conclude on this um they they had a lot of source material obviously so i, I just had a quick estimation of the number of words that are in each of the books so it's 187,000 in fellowship 143,000 in Two Towers and 134,000 in Return of the King. So interestingly, they get shorter as the yeah. uh, as the series goes on. So total trilogy, almost 500,000 words of content that they could take from. In contrast, The Hobbit is 95,000 words, which they made into three movies. So 
that's that's where you can see there's there was so much that they could take out of the books um and you can see that in the extended versions as well like there's a lot of content mm. that they can put in and they really uh respected that and they they put in the effort to make it uh, i think this is this is a quote from um peter jackson himself so in a way we were trying to make these films for him and not for ourselves him being jr tolkien so he wanted to really respect jr tolkien's um vision in oh, yeah. that way and i think in the uh, in the appendices he goes on and he actually describes he said um he goes, uh, I hope what, what we've done is certainly keeping with the spirit of Tolkien. And one of the dreams that uh, I have is if he was in a position to be able to see the films, that he'd be happy with what we've added and what we've changed and what we've simplified. Wait, probably not. He won't be happy with what we simplified. But he thought that, uh, or I thought that I hope at least um, he would have some sense of delight in the fact that this mythology that he set out to create is now taking on a separate life from his own. So it was... Um, a very honourable direction that he went in, and yeah, well, I mean, we'll never know what Tolkien will think, but yeah, it's it's uh, it has taken on a life of its own. I think Peter Jackson set out; um, he accomplished what he set out to do. Yes, yeah, we certainly know what his uh, Tolkien's fans think, uh, especially of the the stuff that has come out after this trilogy. Um, so was it was there? Oh, well, the internet wasn't as big then. I wonder. There was actually that many Tolkien fans when the original trilogy came out. Okay, there wasn't. Yeah. There was lots of people watched the movies uh, yeah. and then got into it and then started reading all the books and stuff and getting into it. And now there's a bigger fan base, which is why there's yeah, yeah. there's stuff happening. Well, there's, yeah. it's it's much bigger now. But yeah. back in when the films were just coming out, the One Ring was, I guess you could say, the hub for all of the online Tolkien fans and people who were getting into the books just around that time when the films were being kind of teased. That 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 was quite a large internet gathering, even if it was like for the times, you know, the One Ring dot net. They had there was a after the Oscars in two thousand and four, there was a One Ring dot net party where it was like hundreds of people came to this massive theater and they all celebrated with the cast and crew. Right. So uh, I, I guess it had one of the larger fan followings online than most stuff around that time. But yeah, nothing compared to now with social media and, and you know the people have probably gone more into the the law than they did back then yeah. probably watched it for face value back then but now they care more about the law and talk its vision and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah on that point follow us on tiktok and instagram because we've been putting out reels and uh short form video on this series that we're doing at the moment and obviously a couple of them um have got a lot of views because people weren't too happy with what we were saying in, in at least one of them. Uh, we've got the person who said it right here in this episode. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, do give us a follow. We we like all the feedback that we can get. Um, it's so. it's interesting because uh, it's not just in it's it's many fan bases at the moment. I, I would say like MCU, Star Wars. There's lots of stuff going on in DC and Lord of the Rings. So with all the fan bases, I guess when they initially start off, there's a lot of freedom for the people that write it and to make it to do uh, whatever they want because no one cares about the fan base. So they can do what they want. They can make some changes. Like original Iron Man is not what Iron Man was in the comics at the time, but no one cared when that, when that came out. But DC, Batman's such a huge character that whenever they stray from what he is in the comics, people get go crazy over it. Yeah. So I guess the more popular something gets, the more, angry people get when stuff doesn't happen how they want it to happen yep. essentially yeah yeah and yeah. when something is executed well if it's re-executed not in the same way 
then people, then get, people angry. get angry. Like yeah. with Batman, like the Christopher Nolan films are considered so like, like basically like the foundation for what Batman yeah. is for and so, so many. That strays from exactly. that is just, yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. similar for this as well, like Lord of the Rings. And then you got Star Wars as Star well. Wars, yeah. Well, Star Wars is interesting because there's people that obviously the original trilogy that people just adore. Yeah. Uh, but then there's this small, or like they're it's starting not to small anymore. But yeah, they're starting to get yeah. more vocal yeah. now, where they're big fans of the prequels. And I'm sure in like 15, 20 years' time, they'll be like huge fans of the the current trilogy that won't like something else that's been made. So I assure you, in 15 years' time or something, there will be fans of the sequel trilogy. <laughs> yeah, there'll yeah. be people that love it. Anyway, any other matters on on Return of the King that are non uh, non spoiler before we jump to spoilers? Obviously, we all recommend it. Definitely go watch it. Mm. Definitely catch the previous films if you haven't. But um, this wouldn't make sense if you don't watch the previous films. I don't think. Probably not. Probably. Not. I mean, you. Yeah. I mean, you'll get Would much it? more out of it if you do watch the first two. I'm just wondering if you could just jump straight to this one. Probably well, kind not. of get the gist of it. Yeah, there, there, there's no like film. It, it's not. Uh, it doesn't give you any retrospective like some films do nowadays, where it kind of takes you back and yeah, gives you a bit of a taste of what happened. Yeah. No, this one. Yeah, I think right you'd be it. confused for maybe the first hour, but then maybe you would catch on to what's going on. Well, the the opening sequence, and we'll talk about it in spoilers, but that would probably turn off people who haven't seen the movies. Yeah, you probably leave the theater thinking, yeah, yeah nope, I didn't go to see this. <laughs> they were like, what is this? Um, but yeah, let's let's get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen Return of the King and you care about spoilers, go watch it. Go watch the extended edition by all means. Come back to this point in the episode and listen to our spoilers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So I have selected a scene again for us to, to watch. I think we'll do this the same way that we did the Two Towers episode where we split it up into the characters. So uh, the groupings that I've got are Gandalf and Pippin, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, the the trio, and then Frodo and Sam. And I've said others, but we can discuss like Merry and Eowyn and whoever else we want to want to discuss um, in that section. So we'll start actually with Gandalf and Pippin. So I've got a, a scene that we can now watch. It's an extended scene, so it's not in the theatrical cut. Nice. And let's see what Gandalf has to say. has turned to vain ambition. He would even use his grief as a cloak. A thousand years this city has stood. Now the whim of a madman would inform that the white tree, the tree of the king, will never bloom again. Why are they still guarding it? They guard it because they have hope. A faint and fading hope that one day it will flower. The king will come. And this city will be as it once was, before it fell into decay. The old wisdom born out of the West was forsaken. Kings made tombs more splendid than the houses of the living, and counted the old names of their descent dearer than the names of their sons. Childless lords sat in aged halls, musing on heraldry, or in high cold towers asking questions of the stars. And so the people of Gondor fell into ruin. The line of kings failed. The white tree withered. The rule of Gondor was given over to lesser men. Mordor. Yes. There it lies. This city has dwelt ever in the sight of its shadow. A storm is coming. This is not the weather of the world. This is the device of Sauron's making, a broil of fume he sends ahead of his host. The orcs of Mordor have no love of daylight, so he covers the face of the sun to ease their passage along the road to war. When the shadow of Mordor reaches this city, it will begin. Well, Minister Very impressive. So where are we off to next? Oh, it's too late for that, Peregrine. There's no leaving this city. Help must come to us. Yeah, so I, I picked that scene just because it was cut out of the theatrical edition. So this is an extended scene and kind of describes the history of Gondor and men. And it's just a very – he goes through a lot in that two-minute sequence. Like he, yeah. he explains a lot. <clears throat> Even references Numenor and uh, the, the wisdom of the West, he quotes it as a saying. And I think we've we've gotten also a kind of people who weren't familiar with that, yeah, the, the, the side of – uh, the the tales before Lord of the Rings, we've gotten gotten a bit of a glimpse into it for you know, the Rings of Power. It's shown Numenor. It's shown 
references to the white tree and where where this white tree is seeded from and what that represents. So it's it's very poetic. And just for context, just before this scene, uh, which is in the theatrical cut, they're speaking with Denethor and um, basically I'll read out what he what he says actually. So the last thing that Gandalf says before they exit that that room is authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king's steward. And then Denethor is the rule of Gondor is mine and no others. They introduce Denethor as um and we'll we'll just discuss this before. Denethor in the books is not exactly like he's in the movies. In in the movies there's almost no redeeming characteristics to Denethor. Yeah, yeah he's very How is he different in the book? <clears throat> he's different in the sense that he doesn't go into that that whole bereavement of hope thing, like the whole psychological breakdown until Faramir supposedly dies and the orcs are at the doors of Minas Tirith. In the books, even before Gandalf and Pippin arrive, he's lit the beacons, he sent out the Red Arrows to call for aid from the provinces of Gondor and for Théoden to come help. He's, like, it describes how he's um, sent the women and children of Gondor away to safety, he sends out rangers behind enemy lines to gather intel and to disturb all their activities. He so organizes a, the defenses. He's, he's very, he's actually he's a better strong. bloke. He's, he, a, he's a much better bloke. He yeah. definitely is a little paranoid, a little bit. Um, it explains how he does use the Palantir to see what Sauron's up to. And he doesn't get, he's, he's a pretty strong man. Like he doesn't get twisted by what, what Sauron would normally do, which is kind of what happened to Saruman. Like in the movies, they kind of show this, like how he gets like influenced slowly. But what Sauron does do is that through the Palantir, it's kind of hinted that he exaggerates how big his own forces are. And in seeing all this, over time, Denethor kind of uh, goes into this whole, we have no chance of winning this battle kind of thing. So none of that is in the movies, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think I think the way they justified it was that in the books, Denethor being that character means that Faramir and Pippin kind of take a backseat in this whole saga, whereas in the movies they wanted to give Faramir, Pippin, and Gandalf, I guess, moral character to do the stuff that Denethor won't. So it's a bit of a character assassination, but at the same time it's nothing nothing crazy. Mm. In 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 what Gandalf and Pippin was saying or Gandalf was saying to Pippin about the the decay of the the line of, of Numenor or the decay of the line of men, it's I think in the movies it's represented in the persona of Denethor in bringing about the despair of the people. Like you don't see the streets people or the general civil, you know, society having that kind of gloom and doom in general. So there's a, there's, there had to be a way to portray that. So I think that choice was a good one to kind of give that, put that person on a pedestal, keep them away from the, the leadership of King. There's no one sitting in the throne, obviously, but he's trying to do his best and he's failing. And he doesn't have much hope to begin with. But yeah, like Bar- like, like Bargav said, the um, depiction of Denethor in the books is is much, it's different for a different purpose, I believe. It's that Denethor was such a strong-willed person that Sauron could corrupt even him and get him to fall into despair. That's the power of Sauron, you know? So that's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a very interesting line on, well, you have this decaying city of men. You have Rohan, which has just come out of Helm's Deep, but they've been battling their demons for a long time with Theoden, you know, being out of action and grieving the Almost deathly son. Literally, like he was literally battling battling a demon. Oh you could yeah, say. yeah, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. And he like to come out of that fight Helm's Deep, lose a lot of their own people, 
So they're kind of almost crippled. Gondor's have no, little strength, and the, and like the line of kings is essentially broken. We don't know who the well, we we know who the descendant is, but Aragorn is not a king yet. He's not he got his own force. So it's it's kind of building up this impression that on the on the side of the men, there's no real force. There's no real unity. That unity. There's no real leadership. Um, leadership or yeah. or like camaraderie that's there to fight off this building evil that's coming out from the east. So it's kind of as an audience member, you're like, there is no auxiliary force to push back this this evil. How the hell is there going to be a good ending to this? So you, you kind of get this feeling of uh, already just through the narrative and the exposition, this is overwhelming. Like the uh, the evil is going to be too much. There's almost a sense of hopelessness. And there's some interesting things he says around um, like what they value. They made tombs that are more splendid than the houses of the living and counted old names of their descent dearer than the names of their sons. So essentially, they care more about themselves and they don't really care about their kingdom. And then he, he ends that whole thing with the rule of Gondor were given over to lesser men. That's a fascinating line as well. Like the way I interpreted that was a lot of like, you know, people naming their children after the for- their forefathers and their forefathers and their forefathers. And you have these royal lines of people that are named after great men, but they don't necessarily take it looking into their own children and how they're gr- they're raising their next generation. They just em- want to emulate the greatness of their fathers and forefathers. And even though it's not explicitly stated, you see that Theoden struggles with that because he is constantly plagued by this. In the in the films, the way they depict it is that Theoden is plagued by the pressure of living up to his forefathers, and he's constantly in guilt and shame that he wasn't act. He, he wasn't there to act and save Rohan from the burning of the Westfold or, or to protect its people when they needed him most. He came out of the spell that, you know, Saruman put on him and he's just like, what, what's happened? Where's my son? Yeah. Where, what, what's wrong with the kingdom? What's wrong with the city? He was like, he was out of it. So he's constantly guilty. Even after Helm's Deep, he doesn't actually, when they're back in the hall in, in, in Edoras and they're celebrating, you can tell he's still guilty. He doesn't actually feel like, oh, we've done a great deed. We've, we've saved Rohan. He still feels like I failed. And it's not until the very last scene when, like, his his last scene where you see that he finally feels like he can, he can, he's proud to enter into the company of his forefathers. Sad, but also very poetic. Yeah. And that becomes even more evident, actually, in, in another extended scene, which is in the, the one of the first scenes in the movie where Saruman actually says that. He, he, he explains how he's not in the same league as his forefathers. Yeah. That's yeah. brutal. That's yeah. brutal. It, 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 he was just nagging him, though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's Saruman's thing. He basically yeah. his weapon is his words, and yeah. how he can. It, it's it's such a cruel thing to say to someone who, or is already fragile about that topic, and you basically tell him, "Yeah, you're nothing compared to who you profess to. You're sitting in the throne of people. You're nothing like them." And it's like we know as an audience, but that's not that's not true. Yeah, he's a, he's a good king. He just he you know he's got a good. So we kind of touched on that in there, but um, to finish up on this clip after that sort of sequence about Gondor, he goes into Mordor and he talks about, and you had a question about this when we were watching it, but orcs, they basically can't move in, in daylight. He talks about how there's uh, Sauron's basically releasing this fume across across Middle-earth so that they can form their armies and then start moving. A little bit in there about the lore as well. Actual, like, basically like a blanket of darkness, so it's not even imagery, it's literal foreshadowing. Yeah of, yeah. of events. Yeah. I had a question for Bargav if you knew this. Like when he talked about the, what is the significance of the white tree in, in, in Minas Tirith? Is that, is that an exact, like, 
off is that seeded from the tree that was originally in the capital city of Numenor? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to the movie discussion on this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> movie only to avoid the wrath of, uh, of TikTok fans who think. Um, no, I want to hear your theory. Oh, my theory. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's going directly. On this TikTok. one's yeah, yeah, with no disclaimers. <laughs> yeah. Hi guys, my my address is. No. <laughs> so <Don't> fight me. <laughs> yeah, come. Yeah, the the white tree is. It's basically it. It's meant to be a, like a direct sapling from the trees of, of, of Numenorean kings. And in Numenor, they had these trees and it was meant to be like when they blossomed, it was a sign that, you know, they were being blessed by the Valar. And if they weren't blossoming, then there was a sign that, that there was like problems, basically. Oh, right, right, right. That's just like, again, this is a movie and I'm not going to go into talks to details on this because it's very, it's kind of complicated as to actually like where these trees come from, the significance of them, the influence of them. Because Numenor... This is book related. Numenor is is kind of like over time it gets split into two factions. One where they call I think they they call the faithful and they remain true and faithful to kind of like the elven ways. Like they still believe that the elves are their friends. That they um, that the reason that Numenor was given was obviously for the way um, the Numenorians served during the War of the Wrath, which was this battle long ago, back in the, the end of the First Age. And then the other side of Numenor was the opposite to the faithful, like the the king's army, I think they called it. And it's these two factions that constantly fight. So the trees are, from memory, they are important to the faithful because it is a sign, um, or it's, it's said to be a sign of the Valar. Again, none of these men know what who the Valar are or anything like that. So... Coming down to here in Gondor, this is just a. It's it's like the the one one of the many connections they've got yeah. to that kingdom that many people here would only know through name. Mm. That makes sense. There's very few people that actually have lines that have come down from Numenor. I think the only one in the movie is Aragorn, but in the books there are the Dúnedain Rangers that come, um, and they obviously have ancestors. So, yeah, it's just a way to describe that this is a kingdom of the once great. Nice. And is is there any meaning in the falling of the leaves from the white from from the trees? Because in what we see is the tree that's in Minas Tirith in the sequence is basically barren. It's almost dead. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know if whether if whether it's actually elaborated much in the books, but obviously in the movie, it's just when it's barren, it's like a sign that things are not going too well. Yeah. Right. And that they're obviously trying to play on the part the fact that Denethor is not doing a good job being the ruler of Gondor. And I think you see that one scene towards, I think it's like three quarters of the way through, you see a flower blooming as Denethor is walking with Faramir to the funeral, um, to that thing to set himself alight. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a good choice. Yeah. To show that there's still some. <laughs> it's a bit of a funny choice. I think it's like, the tree's like, oh, this guy's going to kill himself. Things are looking up. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's just to show that, you know, when things are good, then it's like the blessing of the Valar. Very interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. and very relevant. I'm sure we'll come back to this point when we talk about Rings of Power because yes, yeah. they also went into that as well, the, the, the depiction of the of Numenor and, and the tree and all that. It had a lot of, lot of symbolism behind that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not happy with Rings of Power. Obviously. Yeah, somehow I think our discussion on Rings of Power is not going to be as... <laughs> as uh, as cordial as this, it's, it might be a bit more. I still haven't seen it, so yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which <laughs> side of the fence I sit on. Very yeah. lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's divisive. I, yeah. I know people do like it. 
Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you their addresses. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that. Their for... TikTok accounts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that for next week uh, when we discuss that. So, um, anything else on Gandalf and Pippin? So, obviously, Pippin, before this sequence, he um, basically like says he's going to be the Citadel Guard. God, yeah, yeah, it's, it's oh, when he, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. basically pledges his service pledges to Denethor. Services, yep, yep. Um, out of guilt for Boromir's death, but it, it's it, that the I love their dynamic. It was it was a very interesting choice to pair Gandalf and Pippin. If you go back to Fellowship, they've always had a very love hate relationship kind of thing where Pippin's always annoying Gandalf, you know, doing things that are considered you know. Mine's a Moria where he. Oh, Moria was. I was going to say that. That's where it's yeah. kind of like really, <laughs> literally. Dangerous, like almost you could say Pippin was the cause of the Gandalf's death. Yeah. <laughs> almost, I've seen some memes. It's basically like uh, Pippin gets mage kill experience, but no, that's that's brutal. And then and then coming up to this, where yeah, they're rekindling their relationship. And that scene, like we're basically sitting out talking about uh, war and the quiet before war, and they're always looking after each other. It's it's a really nice like paternal slash friendship. And they have a really nice dialogue after afterwards when they're getting invaded and they talk about. This is not the end. Um, there's more. Uh, or Gandalf's basically describing it to Pippin at that stage because Pippin's like, oh, is this how it ends, essentially? Yeah, that's a really interesting scene because Gandalf's describing death. I mean, he's describing going into Valinor, but he's describing death in that very poetic way. And did you know the original like line of dialogue that Gandalf is saying is actually spoken by uh, Frodo, is experienced by Frodo when he's sailing into the West? Oh. For the last time, um, and that's a, it's it's actually uh, it's a small snippet of the of the original quote, and what the book quotes is is this. He says, "And the ship went out into the high sea and passed on into the mist until at last, on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air and heard the sound of singing that came over the water, and then it seemed to him that, as in his green in the house of Bombadil, Tom Bombadil's house, the great curtain." turned to silver glass and was rolled back and he beheld the white shores and beyond and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise so yeah he's that is uh one of the only depictions we have of someone entering valinor um for the first time so that's what gandalf's speaking about it's it's, and it's a beautiful scene in the movie because you hear the theme of into the west for the first time very emotional theme and i did want to talk about pippin's song because it comes at a very important part in the movie uh, where Faramir is going into battle. And I just thought, just the uh, the imagery, because they, they showed Denethor like eating and not eating like very grossly. <laughs> like it's, it's like munching on all these berries and stuff. And then you see the battle, like it's interspersed between the battle. And then basically it's kind of a visual foreshadowing that Faramir is critically injured in this case, or like, well, he thinks he's dead, but... You just see like the the berry, um, or I think it's a tomato or something like. So it's, like it's, it's like yeah. blood. It's just, yeah, just- it's like it's red essentially. So you just show, you see it on his chin. Well, I remember that scene being a lot longer than it was for some reason. Like I, I remember that song being long. Yeah, but it's not long at all. It's like thirty seconds in the movie, but it feels longer for some reason. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's because when Faramir is riding out with his with the final guard. And and mind you, this is after they've retreated from Osgiliath. They come back. They're like, it's overrun. It's filled with you know, literally like Nazgul and orcs and everything. We can't go back. And Denethor's like, you're gonna go back. 
sends he's sending Faramir to his death, essentially. And yeah. that whole scene of him riding through Minas Tirith and everyone throwing flowers uh and you know um on, on the ground before them is so sad. Him well, charging out sending just, them to their death, essentially. It, it basically so it's a suicide run. That yeah. that final charge is a suicide run. And it was shot so beautifully. Like one shot where you see them approaching Osgiliath, all the orcs are like, the hell is going on? These guys are coming back. And just that shot of all of the horsemen from from Gondor just marching up and you see Minas Tirith in the background. It's the perfect imagery of like this is what it's mean by like the the, the hubris of this king or this steward who's making who's sacrificing the children for what? For honor? He's sacrificing his own son, literally. That whole sequence is really interesting. There's, there's no sound coming out of the um the actual battle. The soldiers of the battle. You just hear like the swords being drawn, the horses charging, and you hear the the arrows being shot. You don't hear the, the, the screams, the shouts, the yells. And Billy Boyd uh, playing, who plays Pippin, yeah, his voice is amazing. And he's singing that short, short song of uh, of of uh, what he sang in the Citadel. And apparently no one knew Billy Boyd could sing. He just opened his mouth and he did it and everyone was just flabbergasted on the set. Just before Faramir leaves, actually, he he does say, if I die instead of Boromir, essentially, would you have been happier? And he says, yes. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> and that's basically that what so pushes brutal. Faramir to like, oh, um, you know, there's no point in me living anyway. Uh, my father doesn't even care. So that's that's what pushes him to run into that battle. Yeah, it yeah. it just makes the previous scenes with him where he's talking about Boromir or talking about his father even more tragic because all he wants is that approval from his father. He's always been seen as second, not as worthy, not as good. And, you know, he tries his best. And even after that, his father's like, I, I wish you were the one who died and Boromir had lived. Yeah. That's got to be heart, heart crushing. It's absolutely devastating for him to hear. And he does say something just before he leaves around like, um, I hope my return is you'll see it in a better light or something like that. And then Denethor is like, it depends how you return. Basically, returns half dead. So, Well, it, th- yeah. that's very interesting that Denethor just assumes, like, when he says that would depend on the manner of your return, Yeah, it, it's kind of like he's taking for granted Faramir's condition if he returns. He doesn't even think about the fact that what if Faramir dies? Yeah. You know, how would you feel? I, I don't think, in my, in my heart of hearts, in the book version and the movie version, I don't think Denethor actually wants Faramir to die. I just think... He's still trying to punish Faramir for something that he, he's he's got some sort of a revenge thing against him, you know. And he's always on that line of. I, I still feel he's just angry that Boromir died, and he's just taking it out on on everyone. At least in the movie version, he does have a realization just before his own death, where he sees Faramir. He's in the fire, and he sees Faramir just out of the fire, and Faramir's waking up, and then he's like, "Oh, my son!" And he realizes all the mistakes that he's made at that stage. Just like seconds before he actually dies. Yeah, literally uh, on the funeral pyre yeah. <laughs> as he's dying. Yeah, and then he he yeah lights on fire and runs off. And you you guys were saying that it's not like a straight run out. He has to like go down some stairs and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's at least thirty it's not, seconds. It's not a straight straight run to the top of Minas Tirith yeah. and then through that very narrow entrance. It's like probably up some stairs, taking a few turns left and right. It's through like then, a couple corridors, isn't at, it? At least, at least, yeah, yeah. It's a good thirty then, seconds. It's a good thirty seconds. Yeah, so you did well to make it that far without like collapsing. <laughs> oh, it was great. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah, great. It was brilliant. Good visual though, seeing him jump off the. Uh... Yeah, and then it, the battles happening yeah. just outside in the meantime as well. So yeah, it would have been good if he fell on an orc. I thought he did. I, it might have been a. I think um, it was just a running gag from like yeah. a long time ago, and we just sort of ran with it. What's that thing where you think something happens and then you watch it? it it isn't there. 
um, oh, the Mandela, Mandela effect. Like, like, yeah, it's Mandela a Mandela effect, effect thing. I, yeah. I thought I saw his body hit an orc, but yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I reckon the Mandela fix just bullshit. It's just another way of saying people misremembering something. Misremembering like, something. Like, like yeah. many people think the same thing. And it's just like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I remember look, watching the movie and thinking, doesn't he land on Gothmog or something? And it's just like, there is another scene afterwards where all the catapults are shooting, like, you know, the, the, the remnant rubbles, and it does hit like different, different creatures. Yeah, I don't think we see anything after that in terms of anyone anyone getting hit by falling people. Falling heads, yes, but not falling people. Well, we can talk about your favourite character, your, your favourite orc character. Cause he's, oh, Gothmog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't Goth's know that was his name. He's such a good character. Is he and in the books? Is, I, don't remember, I don't remember him seeing him in the books. I think so. Gothmog. I actually can't even remember now. Yeah, I can't um, remember. But no, the reason I like him so much is just because he's like, in the first... Obviously, you have Lurts in Fellowship of the Ring as yes. your, like, Urukai leader, right? And then Two Towers, there isn't really one. There's, like, one Urukai is not named, but he's, like, the one that screams in the rain for everyone to charge and stuff. But you could tell that there's, like, there's a structure to these armies, even though they are orcs. And this one is just so many scenes, especially in the extended edition. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's so hard to kill, even though he's, like, basically disabled from the moment he gets off that, like- that scene is great where he gets off his like the thing he's riding and some guy tries to help him and he pushes him away, pushes him away. Yeah. Yeah. it's just such uh is is i don't know why i like i think it's just because of the way he's portrayed as an orc and you kind of you kind of root for him in a sense like you want him to like have that battle and they kind of take it a bit far in, in the hobbit i think where they sort of take that same idea where it's like oh yeah this is an orc and People, people want to see, yeah, yeah. People are like, people want to see more of that, and it's like you kind of do, but not in the way they did it in the yeah. Hobbit. In this one, it's like, yeah, he's got a few scenes. He's obviously not at the forefront of everything. He's just ordering them around and whatnot. He's a great character. He's, he's got that one line I like where he basically they overrun Osgiliath, and he finally he, he stabs the last dude who's just like lying down on the floor, mm. and then you know. The, the, his side orc is like yes, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he's like, "The age of men is over. The time of the orc has come." And it's just like, yeah. "Damn, son, that's good. Yeah. That's that's dark." <laughs> it's like yeah. it's really, and that's around the same time that like everything's going to shit in in Minas Tirith, where like you know leadership doesn't know what to do. The Denethor sending Verme to his death. It's just like, well, these guys know what they're doing. They're all unified. They all have a cause. They obviously have a a leader who's <laughs> willing to do stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And they don't discriminate, you know. He he's it, it, half his body doesn't work, but he's still the captain. So you can say they they know how to. He's got the he's got the brain. He's got the war. He's got the war tactics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's saying he's, that he's an, an affirmative hire. An affirmative I'm, I'm, saying, hire. I'm saying the dark force of Sauron. Are, you know, believe in diverse hiring. <laughs> <laughs> you think he got the job for for diversity? He, hey, just, hey, he doesn't deserve it. Hey, he look, just <laughs> tro- they they employ trolls. They employ orcs. They employ wizards. You know, they don't discriminate. They and spiders. They get yeah, everyone, man. Yeah, <laughs> good guy, Sauron. They got those elephant things. What are those? Oh, oh yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Sauron created created thousands of jobs. Makes pathways. Yeah. For They've many got people. those guys on the boat. <laughs> yeah, they've got yeah. men as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. They've got all sorts of guys going around. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're probably more. They're definitely more diverse. They're more diverse. Yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. <laughs> Maybe we should be rooting for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this might be a good time to talk about Aragorn 
Legolas and Gimli because they come to Why, the battle. Because they hate diversity. <laughs> they're, they're the opposite. They yeah. hate women. <laughs> Actually, no, they're, they're pretty diverse. It's like they're man, right. man, elf, and dwarf. Yeah. yeah. And they're essentially like the first example we get of like, yeah, people who should be fighting against each other. Like men and elves mm. were basically enemies for many, like, well, not enemies, but they were fighting against each other for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and then you got elves and dwarves and, yeah. They recruit some dead guys, so. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. The living, the living impaired. That that's a the one thing that we realized after that, but which is funny is they agree, but not before they try and kill them. Yeah. <laughs> they try and kill them, and then they somehow esca- escape. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we should do this probably. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, just try and bury them in the mountain. Yeah. And then after they escape with the teeth of their lives, he's like, we will fight. <laughs> it's like, the hell did you try and kill us for then? Yeah. <laughs> this is obviously the extended edition. Like in the, in does that the, not happen in the... Nah, yeah. in the theatrical, he, he basically says, fight for me and I'll release you. What say you? And that's yeah. the end. Oh, yeah, and just and so you, you never get his answer. Oh, so you don't get... I think it's almost better that way because yeah. it's a surprise when they jump off the ship and you see them come through then. Yeah, true. But yeah, you don't yeah. see them... You don't see any interaction with the ships though in the theatrical. The umbar, yeah. The, the, yeah. It's literally like... He literally says, what say you? And the next time you see Aragorn, he's jumping off the ship. So you have to, like, you just assume that he took over some ship somewhere I, from, like... I do almost like that better, though. I, yeah, that's fair. Be, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably one of the changes that I would take, yeah, take yeah. away. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a bit bit pointless trying to kill them and then watching them survive. I thought that was funny, but, <laughs> yeah. like, I think the surprise of seeing them come off the ship not knowing that they were there w- would have been good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I do like the part where they come in the ship because they're expecting pirates. Yeah. There's just an empty ship with these three they're guys. They're expecting Jack Sparrow and <laughs> yeah. Orlando Blue, but a different one. <laughs> yes, yes. Same year, same year as well. Yeah. So it could be. There is a nice cut of uh, of that orc going, get off your ship, you maggot, and like Jack Sparrow's on the ship. That's funny. Yeah, but I like how they like slowly just sail in and then they jump out and they're like, what are these three guys doing here? And then you just see the sea of these dead guys. Um, just yeah, yeah, yeah just taking do, over. Do, do the does a dead army have an official name? Do they have like the the dim wall army of the army dead. Uh, army of the dead uh, army of the dead directed yeah, by Zack Snyder? Nah, it's just it's just I don't think they actually have a real name. Um, yeah. They don't even take part in the Battle of Pelennor. They're, they're also oh, called. Oh, the books uh, are not in it. They're, they're in it. They just they only take over the ships. Like they, they battle the Corsairs of Umbar, and then Aragorn releases them after that. Okay, and then, so he releases them even earlier in the books than he does in the movie. Yeah, but that's because in the books they're joined by the Rangers of the North. So like a bunch of Dunedain Rangers join them, and they're the ones who tell Aragorn you need to go and like it's, it might be a good idea to go and um, get the Army of the Dead, and so they do, and the Rangers go with them. And then they take over the Corsair of Umbar, like the, the ships that those guys were on. And then he releases them there. Because that's also where, there's like a stone, I forgot the name of the stone. But that's also where Isildur cursed them. That's where that whole thing yeah. started. Mm, yeah. So, and that ma- makes more sense. Because th- this is like, you know, it's kind of like an immortal army that, so it's basically a cheat code. Yeah. Pretty much. Which is why I felt like you released them too early in the movie. Like, yeah. you take them yeah, through yeah. to Mordor. Yeah. Final battle. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my thinking was if, yeah. he, if he promised to release them and then he didn't, I don't think they would have followed his orders. No, but he would have been like, oh, just do this one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one just, just one more thing. <laughs> one more battle and then you can release. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Hey, but even talking about Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli, like even before the parts of the dead arc, they, have, they do have a nice bonding moment at, at Ross. Like the early scenes of Return of the King or well, after they say Merry and Pippin and 
well, not they're already saved after they meet up with them again. Everyone goes back to Edoras. They have a nice, you know, honor on, honoring the fallen. Have a bit of a party. Have a bit of a party. The drinking game between Legolas and Gimli. That, yes. that, that's a funny little departure from all the tension. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like Gimli and Legolas are the departure from the serious tone of this movie a lot. They're like the uh, the comedy. I Having guess. a bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Legolas doesn't have, apart from the Pelennor Fields with the, with the crazy action, yeah, they're, they're good support characters. And um, Aragorn also has his nice moments with uh, Eowyn in, in that in that early scene as well. And, yeah, that they, they all kind of, Gandalf, everyone, Gandalf and Pippin Bond, you know, when Pippin and Merry are dancing and singing the, you know, the, the Green Dragon song, that's that's nice. I love I love those moments. It's just party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And everyone's there except Frodo and Sam, essentially, so... Mm. Yeah, and Boromir, and yeah, yeah, because he's dead. <laughs> 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 just, just to plunge that knife, that, yeah. arrow, that arrow in a bit deeper. <laughs> 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 I do like that um, Legolas and Gimli uh, follow Aragorn to the parts of the dead because initially mm. he was just going to go by himself, but then they're like, "You got to, we're coming with you." Essentially, that's it. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 the yeah. It's like Legolas yeah. is just like he, he brings his horse like. Have you learned nothing about the stubbornness of dwarves? <laughs> is there a sequel, any sequel stuff to The Lord of the Rings? Is there like any stories about like Aragorn, Legolas, what and Ghibli after? doing after, after Lord yeah, of the yeah, Rings? Yeah, yeah, I can go through the uh, character endings at the end. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. I'll, I'll go through it at keen, the end. I'll but, be yeah. keen to watch more of them, like a movie of them, just them uh, three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what happens with Gimli and Legolas. There's it's quite pretty, a, it's pretty good. It's like f- 20 years of stuff that happens after I think the, it's more than that. the Fall it's, of Sauron. It's a fair bit more than that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and even after the like a hundred years after the fall of Sauron, Tolkien actually wrote three separate versions of what he thought could be the next arc of Middle Earth in the Fourth Age. He obviously didn't pursue it because he knew when to end. He knew that probably best to end it, but he, he did write uh, a kind of build-up story as to what the next shadow might be or the next enemy might be, and the next people to take the lead. But yeah, but yeah, the, what happens to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli is really it's nice. It's heartwarming. Obviously, Aragorn is. Probably the main character is he is the king, so he's in the title. So he has he has a lot of footage in this movie after the parts of dead, and then obviously he starts sort of becoming king towards the end of the movie, and then he does become he actually gets he says that speech that does the speech loves, yeah. yeah he does a speech which is uh, become a meme now but it is it's yeah. like yeah it's not today. A lot of people use it for like assignments and stuff. They're like, "Oh, we got an assignment." Oh, but so, it is, but it is not this day. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it's probably like a top three Lord of the Rings meme. The yeah. Boromir one's number one. Which one? The one where you, you don't simply, simply. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. you don't simply walk into more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably second actually. This is the one that people use yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There's, so. Not, there's a couple of Gollum ones. That, yeah. There's a fair few Gollum ones, yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Rings meme review. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I really like his arc, especially at the end where he's um, basically, this is also a cut scene, uh, extended scene actually with, with the mouth of Sauron. We watched yes. this with my wife. Actually. Oh, yeah, because he, yeah. he doesn't fight him in the other one, doesn't he? Yeah, you don't even see him. You don't even see him. You don't even see him. But that's it's funny, isn't it? Because <laughs> he just comes out and he rails him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, essentially, like, yeah, we were watching it last week. I never thought it was, like, funny when I – I've seen this scene before. I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, it's an important scene. Like, he's saying some important stuff. But my wife found it, like, hilarious that this no, guy – Isn't it funny <laughs> the guy comes out and talks a huge game – and then Aragorn absolutely <laughs> destroys him. He just cuts his head off. Yeah. He just, like, walks next to him, he cuts his head off. Essentially. Uh, but, like, I think 
the close-up of his teeth. I think people just, maybe that's why they cut it out. They're like, maybe this is just a little bit too weird for some people. Um, yeah, and, and the know. way he talked, they were trying to make it sound like he was talking of like the old Numenorean style because he's technically a Numenorean. Yeah. And he was speaking in a lot of like these and thous and like old yeah. English. Yeah. And that, I mean, yeah, it, it was delivered well. I think it sounded funny. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's quite, uh, I think the reason why that whole scene was cut is because in the story, we know that Frodo isn't dead. Yes. We know that he was stabbed by Shelob, he was taken to the Tower of Kyrithangul and, and Sam eventually finds him. And we, we, we see, the last time we see Frodo in the film, he's in the Tower of Kyrithangul and the orcs have taken his clothes, but he's still alive. And then it comes down to this black gate scene and then the mouth is trying to say, here's the Mithril shirt from your friend, he's dead. And everyone, and the extended scene is, you know, Gandalf, Pippin, Merry, and, and uh, Aragorn are like kind of shell-shocked, like, oh crap, Frodo's dead. But we know, the audience knows he's not dead. So there was no reason for that scene to build, the, to once again build on that yeah. false uh, emotion. So they cut it. And I think that was a wise choice. It was nice to see that they made a mouth of Sauron. That scene is important also because he, um, Sauron doesn't know that Frodo has a ring. I don't think he knows that Frodo has a ring. No, he doesn't. Yeah. That's true. He would have yeah. more people at the thing if you knew that Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. know. So yeah. like- Actually, Sauron thinks Pippin has the ring because yeah. Pippin grabs the Palantia in Edoras yeah. and he sees Sauron. And the, that's one of the moments where it's like, Gandalf <laughs> is like, all right, bad news. So Sauron has looked into the mind of Pippin and they communicated through Palantia. Good news. Pippin doesn't know jack shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> he didn't tell him anything. So Sauron's assuming that Pippin has the ring. That's why Gandalf takes him to Minas Tirith. And then Aragorn grabs the Palantia right before, after the battle of Minas Tirith. And then he kind of confronts Sauron. So Sauron thinks Aragorn's got the ring. And he's kind of distracted. So yeah, the kind of makes you think the whole Palantir is basically a device to to misinform people or to kind of make them throw off their their guesses and that kind of stuff. It's never actually used for anything uh, foresightful or, or useful for any useful nature. It's used to misdirect. Yeah. Well, the whole plan would have fallen apart if they'd, they'd seen the Mithril and one of the hobbits or someone just said. Oh, what about the ring? Or they mentioned the ring. Any yeah. mention of the ring, yeah. of Frodo having the ring or whatever, that would have derailed it because then Sauron would have immediately just gone straight to where Frodo was. Right. That's yeah. why Gandalf's telling him, I'm quiet. Yeah, shut, just, don't, don't everyone, react. Everyone, yeah, just, yeah. Sh- yeah. shut up. <laughs> just like, which is wise. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the whole thing was to divert his attention here so that Frodo could do his do his thing yeah. with the ring. Yeah. That is true. That That whole, even the idea of just marching on the Black Gate, which is quite foolhardy if you think about it. Right, you just march in front of an enemy's defenses, they're going to mow you down. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is well known, but the original plan in the movies was to have Aragorn literally face-to-face fight Sauron. That was the plan. And they actually filmed it. They, they filmed Sauron in his armor and him fighting Aragorn and he's like, Sauron's like eight feet high. But I think Peter Jackson realized pretty quick that the whole heroism of Aragorn is not his direct heroism. It's that he took the attention away from Frodo and Sam and he sacrificed himself to kind of draw the eye of Sauron. That's the heroism. So they, they rightfully so, they cut it out, that that whole sequence with Sauron coming down and that whole blinding light sequence when the gates open and Sauron's looking through the gates and the light is kind of blinding everyone. That was meant to be the part where Sauron appears in his elvish form as Anatar and kind of basically beckons Aragorn to join his cause. But they cut that all out. And it was just, they kept the blinding light scene, but Aragorn turning back and then basically saying, for Frodo before charging, that's... That's one of the most powerful moments because it's like it, it it takes away the bravado, the, ma- the machoism of like this leader and just says he's doing it for Frodo. He's doing it for the ultimate cause. 
and at that stage, I, this didn't hit me until I watched it this time, but I think he almost doesn't know. It, he believes that Frodo might actually be dead. Yeah, he doesn't know for sure. Yeah, I he think he, sure. he, he might think that Frodo is actually dead. So essentially he's running, he's just running to his death. He's just like, yeah, let's, this is the end anyway. Um, let's all die for Frodo. Essentially. Yeah, 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 and and that's when the score just kind of peaks into this beautiful crescendo where he's just basically Aragorn's charging by himself alone, and then the first two people to follow is Merry and Pippin. Yeah, first two are Merry and Pippin, and that's then everyone, that's everyone so else. Cool. Surprising, Merry and Pippin don't die during any of the battles. It's like are people protecting them, I, or I, are the orcs just really bad? <laughs> I just think that they're, they're so small; they're like kids on the battlefield. No one mm. is actually high enough to to hit them. Yeah, fair they're, enough. And they're they're you know. They're hobbits. feel like they should have died. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like one of them should have died. Oh, I, I, like, just if you look at the orcs and, like, they do kill a lot of people in the end. It's like these guys are not trained well. They probably should have died. I, I don't know if you guys agree. I, I, I just don't, realistically, they I, probably I should have died. From the, yeah. I think from the book's point of view, Tolkien could not have brought, brought himself to kill off one of the hobbits. Yeah, yeah. He modelled the four hobbits after himself and his three closest friends. In the war, and of which and then if two he of them killed actually, one of them, he would have had to kill them in real life as well. Well, that, that's the thing. Oh, they were actually two dead of them. Dude, Jeez. you have no idea. What <laughs> I got real dark, and it was actually they all, darker. They basically all got drafted into the battle of into World War One, and two of them died in battles. So oh, no. One of them, one of them actually wrote bad. Now. One of them actually <laughs> no, wrote a, like a letter back to Tolkien saying, "Listen, I'm going into the battlefield. I don't know if I'll come back, but please carry on my work and the stories we told each other." And the dude died, and Tolkien was all like forever bereaved by. His death, so thank you, <laughs> thank you. For that's rough. That I, w- I would have been better off not knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking just behind him in the battlefield for Frodo, <laughs> for Frodo. Oh, yeah. himself. Make sure you put this in the TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, this going straight to TikTok tonight. But Tarun reckons that Tolkien should have killed off. That one's not going to end well for me. That's funny. All right. Anything else on Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli? Yeah, I just think the the. Aragorn's arc was was beautiful. Yeah. Everything everything from him doubting that he even was worthy to like finally being king and uh oh we didn't talk about when El- Elrond brings the sword. Yeah. Narsil reforged into Anduril yeah. which is a beautiful scene. It it actually happens in the books in fellowship when they leave the Rivendell oh, so first time. Very early. Oh yeah, he gets, he gets yeah. a sword really early. He gets yeah. Anduril very early, but the 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 symbolism of Elrond bringing it to him in Return of the King is a, is a little bit like, well, you know, Arwen is dying and she can't, she's not going to make it if you don't defeat Sauron. He, he just drops that bomb on, on, on Aragorn. This is the films, by the way, not the books. He's got the pressure of being king. He's got the pressure of saving Arwen. He's got the pressure of saving the world. That's a lot of burden for one pr- protagonist to carry, but he does it well. And yeah, I think everything that comes afterwards. It's just the push he needs. Because in the books, Aragorn is like, he he's like angst to be king pretty much from the get-go. Yeah. In the movies, it's like uh, he's he does the, the Jon yeah. Snow, I don't want it kind of thing. I, I heard in the books at some point he actually does openly say, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm going to be king. At some point he's just like- Oh, oh no, no. Like- it, from the books, there's no mention of him being hesitant towards it. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's pretty yeah, yeah. He's pretty like, angsty to be king. Like he's, yeah, yeah, he yeah. wants to be- Basically, he's just like, yeah. Um, but here in the movies, it's like he needs that push. Elrond's just like, you just got to, you know, as he said, put aside the ranger. Like- Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. 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 Like he- very, very um end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh sponsorship, sponsorship for this week. <laughs> <laughs> um 
And Ar- yeah, Aragon and Arwen's scene is is really well done as well. Their final meeting at the like their, his coronation essentially. Oh, yeah. the makeout scene on the top. Yeah, of, yeah. That's, that's I mean it's nice. The it's it's sexy. Yeah, sure, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I paid. The, that's why I paid the fourteen. Dollars. <laughs> yeah. Was, well, uh, you didn't mention her dress, which I, yeah, never noticed either. But she was wearing a green dress. Yeah, the makeup department had a real problem with getting that shade of green. So I was just like, I never even noticed about the dress. It's got deep into the scene. <laughs> Knows all the law. <laughs> Knows all the law about the dresses. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, that 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 was a, uh, and of course that's the moment right before he goes to the hobbits, and I think the most. If there was an MVP line in this movie, it's that, you know, when, you know, Frodo, Sam, Mary and Pippin are like bowing towards the new king of Gondor, he's just like, my friends, you bow to no one and everyone bows to them. Ah, oh, tearjerker of a moment. So good. So I, I actually looked up, there's five endings for this movie. Mm. So it's one Is that of the- too many endings? That's no, pretty all right. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. I think they all have their own, like you could technically end on any of them. Like you could just cut on any of them. Yeah. But I think the one they do eventually end on is Probably makes sense. It's back in the Shire. It's where the movie started. So yeah, it's just the last line of the actual book. So they, yeah. he, that's one thing that Peter Jackson really wanted to stick to. That the last line of the book should be the last line of the film, and he did that. Oh, the tree, as you mentioned before, the tree does blossom. Pretty that cool. Oh yeah, yeah. The end. not yeah. only blossom, good. it's like overflowing. The petals yeah. are falling, and it's like rain. It's nice. It's like Melbourne in spring. Yeah, oh, pretty much. Those, yeah. yeah. One thing yeah. I forgot to mention were the names. So the, you're asking what the significance was. Oh, they have names? Trees. Um, I don't know what the tree's name in Gondor is, but the, the tree in Gondor comes from a seedling from Nimloth, which was the tree in Numenor. Oh, wow. I didn't have that tree. And names. the tree in Numenor, Nimloth, comes from a seedling from Tol Erisir. It's called Celeborn, the same name as Gladiol's husband. And Tol Erisir is like an island just next to Valinor. Oh, wow. So just next. To, so it's like from Valinor to Numenor to Gondor. So it's like the one connection they've got. That's cool. To the Valar. So it's like... <clears throat> it's like it's a grandfather is yeah, the tree. Yeah, it's like the, the grand tree. tree. Yeah, the like grand tree. tree. Yeah. Are any of these trees descended from the 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 two trees in Belenor, the light of the two trees? Or yeah, look, there's a lot of people who say that like it's, n- it's never I don't think it's ever fully confirmed. Yeah. From what I've I've seen. It's, oh, yeah, it's those more are the just- two trees at the start of the Winds yeah. of Power. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the two trees in Valinor, the years of the trees, that's when Galadriel's born in Valinor. It's I would say no. It's more, it's more its own thing. To say that it comes from one of the trees, look, it might. Yeah. I don't think it's ever really. Confirmed. Maybe it was from the Valar of nature. I forgot his name. Um, yeah, Vana, the, the lady. Lady. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 one responsible for creating nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Vana. She also creates the ants. Nice. Uh, um. Yeah. So that's Aragorn's. Yeah, pretty much. Story, so- which is good. Good happy ending for him. It's yeah, very happy. How long MSR. has it been since he actually saw Arwen? Since because uh, he sees her for the like the first time in a long time at that coronation, right? Yeah, last time he actually sees Arwen in the movies and in the books, I think would be Rivendell, to be accurate. Yeah, but uh, Aragorn and Arwen's tale is not in the main books; it's in the appendices. So it's it's actually Tolkien didn't know where to put it in, so he actually wrote an appendices section of uh, the tale of or this. I don't know the exact name. It's like the story of Arwen and Aragorn. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I would wager a guess and say he hasn't seen her since the beginning of the Fellowship. Yeah, set out yeah. from Rivendell, which is a long, long time. time. Yeah, yeah, long, long time. And um, yeah, he was afraid. Obviously, in the movies, he was afraid that she was going to die. So 
yeah, he finally gets his uh, he gets his wish, and they they eventually have a son, Eldarion, who becomes the next kind of the the union between his representation of the union of men and elves. So he flies a flag of half the tree of Gondor and half the tree of the elves. So it's a really nice symbolism, and it kind of represents the divinity of elvishness mixed with you know the the men of the West, and he represents both. Do you want to talk about the uh, the chick just quickly, Ellen? Erwin, yeah. The blonde one. The Rohan from, yeah. Yeah, from Rohan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just wanted to talk about the one line where the guy's, the guy's like, oh, no man can kill me. And then yes, she takes yes, off a helmet should. and says, yeah. I'm no man. If that line came up in a movie now, people would go absolutely crazy about it. So I just want to say that, yeah. Before we jump into anything, there's going to be a TikTok that goes out today about Erwin. We d- we actually discussed it in quite a bit of oh, detail. Oh, we did talk about her in two towers, yes. Yeah, in the last episode. And- the other guest that we had in that episode, Kiridi, he went on a little bit of a rant about how female characters are written at the moment. And we talked about how this is a very good depiction of female, strong female characters. I don't think it's character. that different from how female characters are written these oh. these days. There's some, obviously, characters that aren't really great these days, but there's also some characters that are written really well and people hate on them still yeah but, I, yeah i i just remember so the i mean i'm it's not lost on me that we're four four dudes talking about how yes. how, how yeah, women are probably are the best film. people <laughs> who talk about this who's the target audience for this film probably guys probably yeah. people fans of fantasy in that if this was something that i i still think that this is one of the more relatable arcs of any series to everyone not just guys or girls it's just the fact that you're looking at a character who has been stripped of power not able to fight for what she believes in. And even in Return of the King, when they're in the camp encampment and like she's helping Mary get outfitted, all the like soldiers are making fun of Mary. It's like, you know, I, I don't doubt his heart just the reach of his arm and they're all kind of snickering and laughing. And she's just like, well, why shouldn't he be allowed to fight for what he believes in? Why should he get left behind? And she's talking about herself. That angst is represented. She finally has this amazing movement of, of her battle and how she's such a good warrior. It's... The one thing I tell people who are like, oh, I don't watch Lord of the Rings because there's too many dudes. It's just a guy fest. I watch. I'm like, well, it's not just about that. And Tolkien wrote this. It like is I a said, bit of a guy fest, but it does have <clears throat> one good female character in it. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's got a couple, and I think they have different roles. Obviously, this is a medieval saga of you know war and warfare where you know, women were not represented nearly as equally as they are in, in these days. But yeah, I still think that her, her arc was done brilliantly. And her purpose goes from angsting over Aragorn into defending her uncle, like defending the king. And that is a, such a noble repurpose of her character, you know, to start actually doing the thing she says she does. And so when she has that final scene when she's fighting uh, you know, on the battles, on the, on the Pelennor field, and she literally defends Theoden against the Witch King, which is like, it's insane. The Witch King is like, he's technically immortal. And he's really, he's an ancient warrior. And it's like, you can't imagine like Eowyn, uh, you know, a shield maiden and a Rohani going up against them. But she really does. And just it, moments before, I'm pretty own. sure he destroys Gandalf's staff, doesn't he? In the movie? Yeah. yeah. He, he, I don't know how the staffs are destroyed in this film. Like if it's magic versus magic. But he over, he overwhelms Gandalf and breaks his staff, flies off. Eowyn, Which, like, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Like she, she, she basically cuts the head off the fell beast in one swoop. Yeah, and then Witch King is like, "All right," brings out his mace and his sword, and his mace is like three tons, and it's just absolutely destroying 
like she smashes Eowyn's shield and or credit full credit like Eowyn doesn't defeat the Witch King completely. Mary actually Mary, yeah. comes in clutch. Like he he's he's the reason why the Witch King is vulnerable. Stabs like, him in the leg. There. Stabs him in the leg. Stabs him in the leg with a blade that was given to him from the Barrow Downs. Which I mean, that's the books. So in I'm the books. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. <laughs> Specifically about the sword, I want to hear more yeah. about it. So basically, in the books, uh, <laughs> the books, Aragorn for, foresight or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. foresight. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> idiot came up with that theory. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the books, they they get their swords. In a different way, obviously, to the to the movies. But Mary's sword was told from the start to have been forged with, and I'm not sure if it's with an enchantment or if it's with the ability to break the enchantment. I, but I think it's to break the enchantment. Yeah, basically, break, his, his sword enables him to break the enchantment of the Witch King of Magma to move. So by doing so, it paralyzed him. And then when Ao Aowen stabbed him, that fulfilled. Glorfindel's prophecy. Glorfindel's another elf that's not in in the movies. Yeah, we did talk about him last episode. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. He's prophecy that that no man, um, will kill the witch king. The witch king. Yeah. 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 So, which is where that dialogue comes in. So it's yeah. not like yeah, I'm a woman. But, okay. <laughs> but, so <laughs> just to compare it to something that has happened now mm. and currently in a good movie that people went crazy over. Mm. So I don't know if you guys have seen Prey. It's the new Predator movie. It's on Disney Plus. It's quite good. But in that movie, the main protagonist is uh, a woman, and it's set in Comanche times, like 1900s. Oh, wow. And basically, the predator comes down, and it's this Comanche tribe, and they come up against it. There's lots of men in the tribe that come up against the predator, and they die. Mm. And then in the end, she's the one that ends up defeating him. And everyone went apeshit over it. It's like, how is she the one to defeat him? It's like all these stronger men couldn't defeat the predator. How how the hell is this this small lady going to be the one that defeats him? Mm. It's like this is so sexist. They just overpower female characters these days to get to get um you know e- right. equal rights and stuff. It's like this is bullshit. Mm. Well, it's similar to what's happening in Lord the, in Lord of the Rings in this movie yeah. essentially. But I think it, the same in in this movie and what happens in Prey is. The point about the predator is not the strongest person defeats the predator. It's the person that outsmarts the predator. And if you if you just go up brute force and try and beat the predator, it's going to kill you. You got to try and outsmart it, do something different, and that's how you kill the predator. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same in this. Same if in you this. go brute force against what, what's his name? Witch King. The Witch King. The Witch King. Yeah. You, you're not going to beat him. Well, no. Wh- you got to trick him. And yeah. Yeah. One v one. One v one. She would not have won. Exactly. Obviously, yeah, right? It's yeah. the fact that Mary actually came in and helped. Yeah. yeah. With, with, is- that, with that last d- dagger scene, right? And they, yeah. they showed it in the movies. Yeah, 1v1, it's not, it's no contest, but the whole point of it is that Eowyn's arc is going in that direction of she, she's coming, she's becoming this warrior, this great warrior with, with a, with a glorious purpose. And the Witch King is just obviously full of hubris. You know, no, no one can kill me. And obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's ancient. When, when those two arcs are developed, Right, and you have that meeting of the of the these two characters, and the ending of it is done so well. It has that audience buy-in. It's like you know what that actually could happen. But I think it, the way that society is these days, with mm. just the people that they're that are there, yeah. if that scene was done these days, people would have hated on it. I still think it's great, and I think that most people would love it for what it is. But there would be a vocal minority out there that would yeah. absolutely hate on it. 
Yeah, yeah, possibly so. So that's why I'm so glad these films came out when they did. Yeah, when the internet wasn't what it is now, which is where you can just spread all the hate you want. And I mm. guess, yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. it's also it's not just hate, but it's also a lot of uh, the change in values, right? Yeah. So the change in expectations and how things are depicted, and whether or not Lord of the Rings was historically accurate to how battles were fought in in you know medieval times, mm. I, I would say it's definitely opened our imaginations to the possibility of well. What if women fought on the battlefield and they had to disguise themselves as men just to fit in until you know they fought, which actually happened in a lot of battles uh, that we don't know about? So it's like this was a really interesting peek into that that realm of you know women on the battlefield, especially ones who could fight. Yeah. This is what inspired that we're talking about last last episode. This is what inspired Game of Thrones to have all these wonderful uh, you know female characters who were stronger than many of the men in the in the series. So. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah, like like what Karini mentioned last week, there's a lot of poorly written female characters at the moment that are overpowered, but there's been poorly written male characters for generations oh, yeah. that are overpowered and shit. So it's like now that there's more female characters being written, people are getting sour because it's like, oh, some of these characters are shit. We should not write female characters anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's a null argument. you got to have well-written male characters, female characters, whatever, wh- whoever it is. Yeah. Obviously, there's going to be shit ones. When, when it's yeah. done well. When, when it's done well, no, no, it's good. Yeah. When, when it's done well, you don't even notice. Yeah, right? 100%. Because yeah. I'll, I'll give an example. Mandalore in season two, there was a scene where they were storming one of the uh, one of the airships and they were taking over the thing. I didn't even realize that all of the people who were attacking and taking it over were all female. You know, you had Bo-Katan, you had, you had, you know, the um, the bounty hunters and that kind of stuff. It, it didn't occur to me until someone was like, girl power. And I'm like, oh, that didn't even occur to me. It just they're, they're warriors. They did well. They know what they're doing. They took control of the ship. Din Djarin was doing his own thing and you know all, all the guys doing their own stuff. When it's done well, you don't notice. It's just that they're warriors. And that's what... Like, Eowyn is first and foremost a warrior, right? She's a shield maiden and a woman afterwards, but she's a warrior. So she takes pride in that. And I think that's what was depicted so well. There was no, there was no gratuity. It, was, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't gratuitous. It was done honestly. And, and um, there was vulnerability. Like, even in that scene, you can see that she's absolutely terrified um, when he gets off. Uh, yes. Yeah. She, she's not over. She's actually mortally wounded if you think about it. Yeah. Like the black, and what we don't see in the movie is that there's black breath that comes from the Witch King, not just the, the, the scars that he leaves with his mace. And uh, the, the filming of that was really interesting because when she was, when Miranda Otto was filming it, Peter Jackson made her do that whole fight scene with the Witch King like 20 times. And every single time she would just collapse out of exhaustion because it was so intense. The guy who plays the Witch King, Lawrence uh, Makoare, who also does Gothmog. He's the guy in the, in the scenes of the Gothmog. He was just describing how it's like, he's, yeah, this, this, is a, <laughs> this is a seven foot Maori, right? He's massive. And he was, he was getting exhausted with the, with the things he was wielding. And he was just saying, poor Miranda, like she would just, she, she, she was training for months for combat, but this is intense. And Peter was just pushing and pushing. And at, some, at a certain point, Miranda Otto just found herself like tears were coming down her face. She was just so tired. She wasn't sad. She was just tired. And uh, there's a small bit in the behind the scenes. Peter's just like, pain is temporary, film is forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just seals in the performance. So it was a wonderful job done by uh, that whole that whole team. All right, now for it, on Sam was something else. That was my little rant. <laughs> okay. that, that's all, that's no, that was, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. definitely a character worth worth talking, definitely, talking about. Yeah, for it, on Sam. Yeah. So obviously, there. This is where they actually get divided. So Gollum really gets into Frodo's mind at one stage and he tells Sam to go 
and we actually discussed this last time, but Shelob's lair, I didn't actually realize it comes in this late into Return of the King. Mm. But in the book, you're saying Shelob's lair is in Two Towers. Yeah, Shelob's lair all up until the Tower of Kirithongul are all chapters in Two Towers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, it actually comes in the second half of the second disc yeah. in Return of the King. So it's like the last quarter of the movie. It, it's it's quite late, but chronologically speaking, in the in the events of the books, it is where it's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. Because by the time that Sam is chasing after um, you know, Shelob and, and Frodo's already been stabbed, Minas Tirith is under siege. If you if you sync up the events from the book and you line them up, Peter Jackson did do a good job in or the whole team, the whole editing team did a good job in synchronizing the events. That's why yeah. I still believe the book's superior narrative uh, flow. It's because the books are the books aren't linear. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like one the big book chunk. does like one story, so like Aragorn get Gimli Legolas, yeah. and then traces all the way back and does Frodo and Sam, which is why that Mouth of Sauron thing is better in the books because you don't actually know if Frodo's alive or not. Yes, correct. Yeah. And yeah. then it traces back after that scene, uh, basically, and then it goes to what Frodo and Sam went through. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it'll do like a whole chunk of like it'll this do is like- what Aragorn and Gimli did. Yep. Uh, and, and Legolas, and then it will start from the start again from where they begun. Yeah, not the from, start, but yeah, yeah a, a way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. essentially, you're, you're the, like the, in the books, the last time you see Fro- you hear Frodo is, yeah, he's there on the path. Then it goes into Aragorn's tale. And then suddenly the mouth of Sauron is like, oh, we've got this Mithril shirt. You're like, holy shit, what happened to Frodo during this time? So, yeah, that's, yeah. And, and that's the effect they went for in the, in the whole Tower of Kirithungal, Shelob, yes. the, the cave as well. Like, yeah. Frodo goes into the cave alone in the movie. And uh, he does everything alone, but Sam- He's with him in the book. He's with him in the books. But they oh, get split. When he goes in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So none, none, that, that trickery of Gollum doesn't actually happen in the books. Frodo and Sam both go in, but they get split in the in the, in the lair. Ah. And so then- they never actually- Like, Frodo doesn't ever actually tell Sam to go. Nah, he never tells him yeah. to go. Yeah. Now, that, that was introduced- um, I remember, I think it was Fran Walsh was saying that she, they wanted a scene where Gollum's- like machinations actually worked and divided Frodo and Sam, so that they could have that satisfying moment of saying, "Oh, Gollum's evil actually worked." Then bring it back and and have him be the mini antagonist of that little arc. But um, yeah, that was that was really brutal. That scene where you know you, he puts crumbs over Sam and starts yeah. starts the altercation, and then basically says, "Oh, you know." Crumbs on his jackets. <laughs> He's it's a good scene. <laughs> and it's, like, it's a pretty funny scene. <laughs> it's a funny scene, and Frodo. There's Obviously, lots of yeah. unintentional funny stuff. Well, uh, some of it's intentional, but lots of funny stuff with Frodo, Sam, and Gim- uh, oh. and, and Gollum. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> Frodo, Frodo, Sam, and Gimli. <laughs> we're just I've saying, been making my own. <laughs> so Frodo, he only has one exchange with Gimli in the whole trilogy. Yeah. yeah. What, and it's fellowship? No, it's no, no, at no. the end. When it's, it's, it's at the very end when he's waking up in Rivendell and Gimli comes in and he's like, Gimli. <laughs> and that's, that's the only time <laughs> they ever talk. What about when he says you can have my axe? Oh, that's what well, fellowship. He's not Does talking that count? to him. He's okay, just like, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's excited to see him at the end, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's. I think the, the the tensions on a on an added level of desperation because you, as you see Frodo and Sam's journey, they run out of food, they run out of water, and you just see them like they're kind of running on fumes. Even at this point, they're running on fumes before Shelob. Doesn't Gimli talk to Frodo and Sam in Lothlorien? He's like, stay close, you little hobbits. They say there's a, 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 a creature. We're really yeah, deep, it's deep, really deep. deep. That's Merry and Pippin, if you look at it. No, I, I think that's Frodo and Sam. You sure? I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's Frodo. <laughs> okay. Check check that. I, I remember it being like uh, Merry and Pippin he's talking to. 
Because Frodo and Sam were in the front, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we're digging real deep into <laughs> really finding some connections here. <laughs> yeah. Gimli's a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what Cody would say. <laughs> like, didn't yeah. we say that Gimli's like, oh no, he is older than Gimli's older than oh, he's, them. He's, yeah, he's a couple yeah, of yeah. years. He would be a pedophile, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. just watching it now. It is confirmed. Okay. Gimli confirmed. does okay. talk to He does talk, but he's not facing them, so it's like. He literally says a conversation to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the only time he speaks to him in the entire trilogy. I have no idea how Gimli came into this arc. (laughs) (laughs) I accidentally said his name. (laughs) (laughs) So it's um, yeah. This whole arc of you know Sam not trusting God. Remember that part when Frodo goes into Shelob's lair and he's like, "It's sticky." Here we go. <laughs> no, he goes, it's sticky. What is it? Like, You're awesome. <laughs> no, no, it's because it's because before that, um, what happens is um I think Frodo's like, oh, what's that smell? And then, and Gollum's like, Orcs Orcs come in here sometimes. <laughs> and I looked at I looked at Doran and I was just laughing. Obviously I took it the wrong way. I was just being immature. This, and is then, the prob- this is the problem of watching the films when you're an adult and not a kid. Because we were actually more mature as a kid because we were scared. <laughs> uh, but you could, yeah. And then I started laughing uncontrollably because I realized what he was going to say next. And then, and then this guy lost it as well. <laughs> Do not watch Return of the King with these guys. They're going to laugh throughout all the, all the scary scenes. <laughs> oh, no, hit me up. Uh, but yeah. That, yeah, that was probably top 10 scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Well, she, she love is... To be honest, she is pretty terrifying. Looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sexy. I would not want to encounter Shelob. In She's any got that little um thing in, thing on her ass. The, the yeah. stinger. The stinger. The stinger. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. <laughs> it's on her ass. It's I mean, on her ass. Yeah. <laughs> like we we see how big Shelob is, right? And it's like how Sam well, and Frodo. It would be even bigger for Sam and Frodo because they're hobbits. Yeah. Well, we right? see we see her in respect to Sam and Frodo, who are hobbits, so they're small. Yeah. But like, if we saw her. Next to like Gandalf, is she really that big? Well, she's meant to be she's the, the offspring. Size of a normal spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. She's no. a small salmon photo. <laughs> well, she, she, she's meant to be the offspring of Ungoliant, which is from the Silmarillion, which is you know a, a, a behemoth of a creature. So I would say, yeah, obviously she's she's an Ongol, which is a larger than normal spider, but she grows to be massive. And I, I think you kind of get that feeling of scale and size when obviously. You see Sheila overpowering Frodo, stabbing Frodo. And poor Frodo, man, gets stabbed all the time. He got stabbed three times now with Sheila. So once by the Ringwraith, once by a troll in Moria, now by a fucking spider. <laughs> this dude's not got any good luck. Um, and then Sam comes and saves, well, basically saves Frodo from getting eaten on the spot, right? Yeah. And that and takes the ring. Takes You know that moment where Sam, you see Sam's hand come in and he's got Sting and, and the light? So apparently when they were shooting, the stunt double and Sean Astin weren't available on the day. So Peter Jackson got on a bike, rode from one studio to like one kilometer down the road, put on the costume, and that he he, he did that scene himself. So that hand you see is one of Peter Jackson's cameos. Oh, the hand is- That's oh. Peter Jackson's hand. And he's, he's, he's got a, like a hobbit hand and, and, you know, he doesn't need much makeup for that. He, he basically just stuck in Sting and that's, that's him. Uh, but yeah, we had this discussion how- So he doesn't- he, doesn't willingly give the ring, kind of Frodo grabs it, right? So the only person that's actually willingly let go of the ring is Bilbo. Yeah, in, in the movies, correct. Yeah. The yeah. only person who willingly lets go of it yeah. with with no other 
like alternate, like ex- outside force, like controlling his Bilbo. In, in the, the, in the movies, the yeah, we'll say in the, the movies, movies, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a host of people who have refused the ring when they've been offered it. Yes, like uh, yeah, Gandalf, Galadriel, Galadriel, yeah, yep, yep. yep. Even in Ar- the movie, even Aragorn is offered it in Fellowship uh, in the movie in, yes. in Amon Hen. When you know, Frodo's like, what, "What would you do?" and he gives it back. So he's one of the few. But yeah, there's very. I think yeah, only Bilbo's the one who actually lets it go. Yeah, Sam goes up Battle of Kirithongol. Yes, tower. It's a good scene, yeah. He's actually he's a good fighter. Yeah, mm. yeah. But how does he learn how to fight? Is it just the original stuff with like Boromir teaching him? Yeah, no. Prob- I think it's a mix of a few things. I think it's like I think we you get the sense that one, he's just naturally he's just a brave. Yeah, person. like he's got those instincts. He's physical, and yeah, he's physical. He's a little bit older than than Frodo, and I think he, the fact that he's small actually lends a bit of. Um, advantage in those kind of fights, like because he would like you definitely fighting. be the most skilled though out of like yeah. all the hobbits. He would be, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and to be fair, most of Kirithongol was like empty because of that civil war. Yeah, the, the mini yeah. civil war. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that they instilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, fun thing though, in the books, he actually uses the ring. He puts it on in the tower. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, yeah. oh, uh. but it doesn't alert. So I don't know why. This is a why weird thing. It alert- yeah, it, it's a bit, bit of a weird thing. It's not fully consistent in the book so i'm glad they didn't do that in the movies but he, he puts it on in yeah. in the tower um could be around the same time when sauron is talking to pippin on the palantir maybe like he's distracted maybe talking to aragorn oh but in the books aragorn talks to him in rohan on the palantir right right, right. so maybe okay. i don't know i'm not sure why it doesn't alert him um, yeah uh but yeah so he fights his way up and then finds Re- frodo yeah finds frodo reunites uh tells him that he, he's got the ring actually that, that scene in the movie is pretty cool where you don't know what what happened to the ring? You just yeah. see Frodo going, they've taken everything. And then Sam's going, what did they take? Like, he's surprised. And he's like, they've taken the ring. <laughs> and he's like, I'm begging your pardon, but they haven't. <laughs> what yeah. else? He's like, oh, they, they took the salt from the Shire. Previous <laughs> 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 movie. Yeah. So, and then it's, it's, it's quite cool. You just see Sam just takes the ring out nonchalantly and it's just like, oh, I, I thought I'd lost you, so I thought I'd take it. But Frodo takes his hand out and they give it to me. And then Sam slowly kind of pulls the hand back, like- Almost as if he's doing it subconsciously. Yeah. That's, it's interesting to see how hobbits are naturally resilient, but they're still not completely. They're not completely proof from that effect, and you see that in the crack of crack of doom. You see it at the start in Fellowship of the Ring as well in the books. Like Gandalf tells Frodo to throw the ring into the fireplace, and he can't do it. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> I'm oh, not. So he gonna, just grabs it. I'm though. not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like if he couldn't do it then. What makes you think he's going to be able to do it <laughs> in, in, in Mordor? In Mordor. Yeah. yeah, he's just expecting someone to chop off his finger. It's like hopefully someone will do that when we get there. It's like we'll deal with that problem when he gets yeah. there. <laughs> Maybe someone can push him. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he sent Sam. That's why he sent Sam. Maybe that's why he wants Gollum to be alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, actually, that's actually a really interesting point. We'll get to there when we talk about it. No, yeah, there's a whole reason why Gollum exists. It's not an interesting point, no. Because <laughs> 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 I reckon it is because under no circumstances, it was not possible for anyone to actually let the ring go. Yeah, that's, that's true. We'll get to in, that. In, we yeah. can get to it now, actually. Yeah, like the way they fight their way up. Yeah. Um, well, but, but before we talk about them entering into Mount Doom, I think it's really interesting to see their journey once they cross in, cross over into Mordor, Frodo and Sam, and they properly move into Mordor and try and blend in and you know camouflage, avoid the eye. That's really yeah, it, it's harrowing, but it's really really brutal for both of them. Yeah, I think that the ninety percent of the toll is taken in that last leg of the journey. They try and cross Mordor, 
It's just they um, do the time. The time pass really well. It's meant to take about a week to cross those fields, right? So they they show it really well, like them like stopping for like water and like resting. And- yeah. In the extended edition, you actually see them putting on orc armor and and kind of joining the ranks to to blend in, yeah. but they're scared that they'll be found out, and they they get out. They find a way to get out. Mm. And they're, it's done very well. Yeah, and they're just marching through the fields and you, you see they're exhausted, they have no water. And uh, earlier on in the film, the very beginning of, of Return of the King, it's like Sam and Frodo have this banter and Sam's just like, oh, you know, I've been calculating. I think we'll be all right. And Frodo's like, calculating for what? The rations so we have the enough for the journey home. And it's a little bit of hopeful tone. Oh, they might make it back. But now they're in Mordor and they're completely desolated. They have very little water left, like droplets. So Sam is just not good at rushing. Even Sam is now saying- Well, I think Frodo I, I don't says think- something about the journey home and then Sam's like, I don't think we're going to go go back home. I think I think Sam actually says- Oh, it was, yeah. it was actually in that water scene. It's just like, here's the last bit of water. Frodo has a, literally the last seven drops of water. And he's like, there's nothing there's not left for the return journey. And then Sam's like, I don't think yeah, there Sam's, is going to be a return journey. And yeah. that's when it, when Sam says something like that, because he's been the- Optimist throughout the whole journey. Yeah. If see if he says oh, I don't think we're gonna make it, it's that's devastating. Yeah. Whole, as an audience member, you're like, it's over. It's they're gonna die, and yeah. they should have died. <laughs> well, they were they were they looked like they were going to on the slopes of Mount Doom because that last climb was so agonizing. You know, when you see like Sam's given up, kind of Frodo is basically just drawing breath, and he's fu- he's li- literally clawing his way up, and the music is so amazing because it's just like that's a great scene where you see like the flute comes in, and he's looking at Mount Doom erupting. And he's still got that will to try and do what needs to be done. Where Sam carries him. Yeah, like, Sam carries him. Right yeah. yeah, like when, when, carri- when Sam comes up to him and you just see the camera looking up at Sam, down at Frodo. And, oh, yeah. it's so good. Like, do you remember the taste of strawberries or the sound of water? Like, Sam's just trying to get Frodo to, to, to keep clinging on. But Frodo's essentially done. He's just like, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember the sound of water, the taste of strawberries. And uh, he's- Taste he's, of anything. Yeah, say. it's so- it, 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 the acting was done so well, you actually kind of feel like Frodo is dying, not just because. To be fair, he was just stabbed by a giant spider <laughs> and like recovers and well, the, goes I, straight I, into. I, the I still think I think the spider bite wasn't actually that bad after he recovered. It's more so the fact that he's gone through all of this stuff together. Like this whole journey has just taken his life, right? And you feel like, oh, they're not going to make it, and that's when Sam is like, he's like, I, I can't carry, carry it for you, but I can carry you, and he just. He carries Frodo over, and that music when it comes on is amazing. It's so emotional. So it's the theme. It's the Into the West theme, but it's just like it's heroic. Damn, yeah, that's 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 an amazing thing. Yeah, that oh, I did find. God. Gollum was like, was he just weighing the corner? He's, he's, he's just on like a rock. Like they're coming up, and you yeah. just see him on a yeah. rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously they have the the fight with Gollum. The fight with Gollum and then they move on. A really interesting like filming tidbit is that that scene where they're fighting on the slopes of Mount Doom was one of the first scenes they ever shot for Lord of the Rings. When you see the making, obviously, Frodo, Sam and Andy Serkis in like 2000 filming that. And then they filmed it again in 2003 with like an indoor stadium and proper mocap and they had all the proper tech this time to do the proper scenes with the fight and that. So they were like, it's probably the one scene where they... Shot the beginning of the scene, and then the end of the scene is four years apart, which is ridiculous. The the amount of three years apart, the amount of time they spent on improving the tech and stuff. Yeah, this it's an interesting kind of transition to how they do pickups. So they finish the scene off with that one, and then yeah, you you see essentially Frodo running into Mount Doom. 
Yeah, so before we get into that final confrontation, let's go right back to the start of the movie with Gollum. So um, I just found it interesting that they start the final chapter of this trilogy with Gollum. So obviously he's very, very important character, and you find out why at the end. But that whole scene, we talked about how powerful the beginning scene of Two Towers is. This is probably like one of the most unsettling scenes just because it's like mm. this guy's like eating raw <clears throat> fish and you slowly see his deterioration from a normal-looking hobbit to this creature. Even before that, you see you see a person strangling another person to death Yeah, without any fast-forward. It's just brutal. You just see the cameras fixed, the music's thudding away, and he's just this, this guy is suffocating under Smeagol's hands and it's like... This is raw. This is and it's Andy Circus, like actual Andy Circus before mocap, uh, and then you yeah. see that. And then there's just a one one shot where he, it's like Andy Circus, but he's all like disheveled and he's like slowly turning to Gollum, and he closes his eyes and then he opens his eyes and it's like the Gollum eyes. Right. Yeah. Yes. 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 Very uh, interesting way to open Return of the King. I I I would have chosen like a different thing to show, but I feel like they wanted to dive into this. They, well, want, they I, wanted to show us. I think the reason is because at the end, Frodo and we kind of talked about this, but Frodo wouldn't have chucked the ring. He wouldn't have done it. Yeah, um, and which, which is had a contra- to be there. It's a controversial opinion. Many people think, why couldn't he just throw the ring when he was in Crack Mountain Doom? It's that it its will is powerful in and of itself. Even if you're in the Shire, right? The fact that you're in the Crack Mountain Doom where it was forged is is giving it more will over you. You don't have no one has the will to throw the ring into the fires when you're in mountain when you're basically in or, or a druid you can't mm, yeah. no one no one can do it that's what that's straight from Tolkien not even Sauron I, I don't even think Sauron could do it even if for some reason he wanted to he couldn't yeah. do it and in the end no one actually throws it it's just they have a bit of a tussle and then they f- it falls in yeah so it's, it's, no one's it's actually lucky. throwing it in mm. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the books it's funny it's just Smeagol's just dancing and he falls <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, happens yeah. does he bite his finger off in the book he I don't think it goes into that detail. It's just he he gets it off Frodo, gets yeah. it, and he starts jumping up and dancing. And, and, and he slips off the ledge, which is meant to be like one of these fateful things that happen as a result of, you know, the universe or, God, or that Eru Luvita. So it's kind of left up to the devices of like this Deus Ex Machina thing like this in the books. But in the films, they, they actually struggle to decide how do they show this happening. And one of the takes was actually really interesting. One of the takes, they said, why don't we actually get Frodo once his finger's bitten off to run pick up Smeagol and toss him over the edge in a, in a final act of like, I'm um, getting rid of you and the ring at one go. And they actually were going to do it. They're going to show Frodo doing that. But then they thought, uh, it's actually Frodo killing someone. They didn't want to go that far. I, I like the way they did. It's like, it just shows that like the constant battle for that that item is what leads. Yeah. To just like it's, 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 it's like this yeah. unrelenting battle. It's like it's never ending. It's never it's ending. Un- even the Kraken Man too. It was, it was just hard to see Frodo like still under the effects of this. Like he wanted it for himself in the, even in the last moment. I, yeah. I would have liked it if he was like, I want to get rid of it, but I'm not going to throw it. I'm going to get rid of the Smeagol. Because Smeagol's had many chances at redemption. Mm. And he shows Smeagol pity like three or four times in the whole series where he, he doesn't get killed. He doesn't get taken away. He's always, Frodo vouches for him. This is the last time I think they should have shown him feeling sympathetic towards him and he just like I would have loved it to see him have more agency in that decision. Mm. But the way they did it, I think was still good. What what comes after that whole moment of, you know, Smeagol going over the edge and that whole sequence, by the way, because it, it jumps from Mount Doom when when Smeagol gets the ring and you see like that camera angle where it just comes out out of the ring. The same time Aragorn's about to be killed by this troll that he's fighting in in the 
Battle of the Black Gate, and all of the events are about to end catastrophically. And then it's like, you don't know how this could be saved. It doesn't look good. Yeah, that's when Frodo comes up and, and they both tussle. Smeagol falls over the edge. And yeah, you just see Smeagol free diving into And he's like, pits. for one second, he's happy because he has the ring. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, and even when he's dying, he's trying to hold it up. So he doesn't care about himself. He's he's dying, but he's trying to save the ring. Yeah, that was yeah. a really interesting decision to make him do that. Actually, it's good. It's done really well. Done really well. And then uh, then you just think you actually you don't know what happens to Frodo. You think you don't see him, and then you see him like hanging off the cliff. And this is where it gets kind of really dark and tough because Sam's just like you know don't let go, grab my hand, and then Frodo tries, slips because his fingers bitten off. He's all bloody, and then he, Frodo gives Sam his one look. Like this look of I don't think I, I can hold on. And no, that's when- I think that's what that's what they're trying to get the audience to think. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, well, the, I, the way I, he looks at that. Sam, no, the way he looks at Sam is just like Sam's telling him don't let go, but Frodo's like maybe it would be easier if I do. Like that. That's what his yeah. expression is kind of saying. It, it's kind of really tough to watch that and think, oh shit, maybe he's not going to come back. But Sam's not having it. Sam's not having it. And he pulls him out. They both make it out, and then the eagles. Yeah, or, or the, come down, the Eagles. Yeah. Well, the job's done, and you just see them for a second and be like, "Oh crap, it's done." Yeah. That's another meme as well. It's gone. It's done. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. Or something like yeah. that's the, another one. End yeah. of end of exams or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like- <laughs> but you can tell they're free. Like the acting's oh. done really well. You can tell they're free from it. Yeah, at least yeah. emotionally, mentally, they're they've released it. They're released, but, and but like, physically, they're just spent. So they're like, "Well, we're not going to get out of here." It's, um, yeah, it's like that brief moment of joy before they realize they're probably going to die on this mountain. And uh, yeah, but luckily, there's some friends. <laughs> yes, luckily with the eagles, so they come, and three eagles come to pick up two survivors. That's interesting too. But I thought maybe someone thought that Smeagol would make it as well. Well, there's no redemption. Well, his his arc ended with him dying, so there, there wasn't going to be a redemption for him. So yeah, and that's that's where it ends. So it fades to white and then Frodo wakes up and everyone comes in. Oh, even sorry, but even before all that happens when the ring is destroyed, the tower of Barador collapses. That's right, yeah. Uh, you see this explosion, Merry and people are chanting Frodo's name and Arag- Aragorn's like when the ring is destroyed, you know Frodo's still alive. That's right. But then in in like a split second the mountain just erupts in full force and then everyone's just kind of like well, if oh, he wasn't dead, crap. He's, he's <laughs> I don't think he could have survived that. And then <laughs> yeah. they all kind of grieve. Yeah, that's 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 a bit of an emotional moment as well. And then the Eagles come, which is a nice, nice roller coaster of emotion yeah. here and there. One thing we didn't mention was when Frodo does put the ring on in the in the mountain, um, Sauron's eyes just like just mm. switches straight to oh, that. Yep, yep. Just, so just back all the Nazgul. Um, oh, so the, we even mentioned the, the Eagles actually come in the Battle of the Black Gate. Yeah, they do. They come in the last minute. They kind of distract the Nazgul. And you see the moth again? The moth comes back? Yes, the moth comes. Yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. The moth comes yeah. back. Uh, then the Nazgul get distracted. They all fly. They're about, they're about to basically make it into the, into the, into the gates of doom. And, um, yeah. So once the ring is destroyed and the mountain erupts, what, I think I asked Bug of this, how do the, what happens to the Nazgul? So they, some of them get killed from the fire. Some of them recede. Some I think it's fade away. I think you're just meant yeah. to assume that because the ring is destroyed that they don't have any more. That yeah. they're gone as well. So we don't see the Nazgul again after that. So we're back in Rivendell uh, essentially. Yep, back in Rivendell. Is it Rivendell? It's Minas Tirith. No, it's oh, is it? Rivendell, isn't it? No, oh, no, no. Actually, why would they go right? back to Rivendell? Yeah, yeah, no, it's no. no. It's probably Minas Tirith because after that the is Hobbit. the coronation scene. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. You're probably right. I, I always assumed the lighting it, looks like. Yeah, the lighting. Yeah, yeah. It's a minute. Because yeah. I felt like they were trying to replicate that whole scene when Frodo woke up in Rivendell oh. after for, after Fellowship. Why would they take him all the way back to Rivendell? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. All the way back to the <laughs> That's <laughs> absolutely they, true. They tricked us with the lighting. The yeah, lighting yeah, yeah. looks yeah. like Rivendell lighting. Yeah, it's definitely really bright. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It just definitely blew my mind right there. Sorry. Of course, why would they go back to Rivendell? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, true. Didn't realize that till this very point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one of the endings, and then you have the coronation scene. Then you have the uh, boat, the boat, um, and then you have Sam back in the Shire. Sure. Yeah. Does he end up taking that girl out? Yeah, he marries. Yeah. They, they get married. Kills, and- takes oh. her out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah takes her out. Takes her out. Yeah, he ends up marrying. He ends up marrying. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the other endings. Actually, like they come back to the Shire, and then he goes and speaks to her, and then he gets married, and then yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that's a beautiful moment where they're in the pub, they're just having a pint, and they're all looking at each other like everything's peaceful in the show, nothing's happened here, which is not what happens in the books. Yeah, and I don't think but, people realize what these guys have actually gone through in the Shire. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of just on their own table, and everyone's just minding their own business. Yeah, that was really powerful. It's just like you kind of feel, damn, this is they've been through death and and devastation, and they're back here in this peaceful land and. Yeah, only they know kind of what sacrifice everyone has made to keep this part of the world green. And that's when, yeah, Sam basically goes up and we don't know what happens, but I'm guessing he goes and kisses Rosie or something, like just straight up. Bangs her. In the middle of the pub, though. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shy anything goes. (laughs) Yeah, you see Sam getting married and then Frodo. Yeah, everyone's there. That's, that's, that's nice and fun. And then, um, nice and happy scenes. And it's like you kind of see Frodo back in Bag End, but it's not the same. Life, you Frodo speaking now and talking about his experience. And it's like, how do you pick up the pieces after going through what you went through? And you know, and then you realize there is no going back, you have to live with this. And he's essentially living his life, recovering from the effects. He's still really affected by the stab wound from uh, the Witch King. The apparently every day, uh, the, the anniversary of that attack, it gets more power, it gets it, it hurts more essentially. There's some some black magic involved in that, obviously. But he's yeah, he starts writing his own memoirs into a book called The Lord of the Rings, and he gives it to he gives it to Sam. Oh, he doesn't give it to Sam, but he basically says there's there's a little more space left in the book. And then he goes off to farewell Bilbo and Gandalf, uh, along with Galadriel and Celeborn, who are leaving the Elrond as well. Yeah, yeah. Elrond as well, who are leaving uh, into the West to go into the Undying Lands. So I'm guessing, like everyone knows what's up. Yeah, Gandalf's going. Bilbo has been invited, and obviously all the all the elves are going as well. And Frodo's like, "This looks like a sesh." Yeah, <laughs> I'm oh, coming. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they all old the- guys. I'm in. <laughs> well, yeah, and then like they're all saying bye to you know Galadriel and Gandalf, and then Gandalf basically is telling bye to all the, all the hobbits, and it's really sad because you know Gandalf has been there for all these guys, and Pippin especially, you know, Pippin and Frodo. So they're all crying. <clears throat> Gandalf kind of goes a bit forward, turns back and goes, Frodo, it's time. And then you're like, if you hadn't read the books, you're just like, oh, shit, is Frodo going to go? And Sam is like, no, that can't be what's happening. What's going on? And Frodo's essentially like, yeah, the Middle Earth's been saved and the Shire's been saved, but not for me. He's Good ending. Yeah, he says goodbye. He says goodbye to everyone. They have a really, you know, heartfelt goodbye with, with Frodo, each and every one of them. 
And then Frodo gets on the ship, and for the first time, I think he smiles with relief. Like yeah. for the first time in a long time, you actually well, see him. I think we were smile. saying he probably hasn't smiled since Fellowship. I don't think he smiles in Two Towers at any stage, does he? Well, I no. think there's one point where he kind of smiles when Sam's talking about how they're going to write stories about them. Yeah, I yeah, think he yeah. smiles a bit then. But like it, yeah. even even at Sam and Rosie's wedding, you see you see him celebrating, but he's got this nagging thought in the back of his head, like he can't enjoy this completely. And for the, that's when he's on the boat, you see him finally. A heartful. Know, a heartful relief yeah. of smile. And that's when everyone else is like, yeah, they kind of come to grips with it. And he sails into the West. It's really, really interesting how, how they decided Frodo will go with, with Bilbo, with Gandalf. He's in the same caliber as all those people, the ring bearers. Yeah, all the ring bearers are allowed to return. Hmm. For having resisted the power of the ring. No, no, just all ring bearers. Except Smeagol. Um, and then what happens after the Grey Havens? You see Sam coming back home, right? Yeah, Sam comes back home, and then right, right, yeah, and then it ends on his door. I think he closes the door in his. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah, that's the end. And it actually says the end in case people are wondering if there's another (laughs) scene. There's another post-credit scene. Nick Fury. Yep, he recruits Sam. Recruits Sam. (laughs) 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 Um, It's good. The way they tied up in the in the movies, bro. Yeah, it's very well done. They obviously, they, they skipped the whole scoring of the Shire. I'm not going to go into it too much, but I'm kind of glad they did. Yeah, I'm glad they did. I don't think movie people would understand that whole segment. Yeah, I understand why Tolkien wrote the scouring of the Shire to show that even, you know, your 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 green your green corner of the world will be affected by the actions of war. Of war. But if imagine if after everything they went through, Frodo, Sam, Mary Pippin came back and there was another battle to battle, fight. Yeah, and 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 all all the scenes you see in Fellowship with Frodo looking into Galadriel's like uh, singing fountain, that happens. There's like the the hills are burnt, people are chained up and lined up to go into factories like Holocaust style. It's really dark, and it's like, dude, they've been through enough. They deserve to have a little corner of the world that is untouched by this. And I think that was done really well, just to show that it doesn't matter if these people have been ignorant of the war; they don't know. It's the fact that they have somewhere to come back to. I think. It's just for realistic sense. They, they couldn't put it in. Like, Probably movie's long enough. Too long. Movie's oh, yeah, long yeah. enough. And, and, and no one would have had a finale. After the epic battle, to exactly. have another small battle, yeah. that would yeah. it wouldn't work. Yeah. 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 A lot no, of token yeah. purists are like, oh, yeah, they don't understand the point of it. I'm like, no, nah, I think it's more that you, you'd be for catering a story, to a very but- small amount of fan service to add that in. Yeah, it and makes taking away sense. from the overall exactly experience. from a yeah. storytelling perspective, yeah. it's yeah. probably not the best yeah, yeah. way to go. Yeah, yeah. 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 but the, the whole point of that thing is just to show that yeah, now, now the hobbits are the ones who lead them their citizens into battle. It's the same point. No, no, it's the, the same point is that because Tolkien, when he came back from war, realized that his home was changed from the war. Yeah, it was like industrialized, a lot of changes and stuff. He wanted to explain that there's never one war to end all wars. It's always going to continue. Yeah. That's the, the, the point of all, all of that. Obviously, it talks about how the Hobbits have grown, but anyways. So, yeah. Ending of the movie with Sam. With Sam. Hugging um, his kids, good. who are actually Sean Astin's actual kids mm. yeah. in that scene. Rosie's not his actual wife, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his kids yeah. are there, which is a nice touch. Yeah. And that's the end of The Lord of the Rings, which is... Oh, same. very quickly. We'll, um, oh, the, the adventures the that they they have afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So we'll talk about the endings of each of the characters. So after, so Sam lives in the Shire. After Rosie dies, he actually travels to Valinor as well, because he was a ring bearer at one point. 
Oh, yes. Um, so he, he, he goes. Um, there's a bit of... He could have done that before she died so that she could have got... Oh, she would have been allowed She in. wouldn't have been allowed Oh, uh, okay. He could, yeah. yeah, he couldn't smuggle her in. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. So um, a bit of contest as to whether they actually go to Valinor or whether they go to some of the islands near that place. Yeah. Um, I like to think they actually went to Valinor. Aragorn uh, obviously serves as king, lives out... I think he's like 300 and something by the time he dies. Um, he obviously has a son and I think he has two daughters as well. I don't know if, what their names are, oh, but no. he, he gets, um, I think he ends up being buried in Minas Tirith, I think. Um, and Merry and Pippin also are buried next to him when they die as well. Um, so they act as counsel from the Shire to Gondor. So they, they, they travel a fair bit in yeah. between and they nice. like provide counsel and stuff and, um, and whatnot. Uh, Legolas and Gimli. Theirs is the most interesting. So they travel for ages around all of the Middle Earth. They go through different elven cities. I think they go through some dwarven cities as well. Eventually, Legolas builds a boat to travel to Valinor, eventually, like the Grey Heavens, and Gimli joins him. Oh, so, so they go together. That's nice. They, they go yeah. together. Yeah. So he's the only dwarf that's allowed to go. There's a few theories as to why he's allowed to go. This is like the stuff that is really contested. But I, I reckon, like to believe reckon, that he won't. I reckon Galadriel would have convinced or the Valar whoever's in charge. I reckon she would have put an put a name in for Gimli. Maybe, but you don't get to go because of like that's a bit of a selfish reason because like if if g- g- there's a bit of thing about how Gimli wanted to see Galadriel one more time. And people are like, oh yeah, that that's that's a fair enough reason. Others are like, oh it's a bit of a selfish reason really. You only get to go if you've done something one if you're immortal because you don't actually survive in the in the gray havens if you're not immortal if that makes sense you'll stay there for a bit and then you're uh like you'll age faster that's the the idea and so frodo going is just to heal long enough until he dies and then he goes into the halls of mandos or whatever sam gets to go presumably to see frodo one last time um but legolas and Gimli going it's like there's like many interpretations as to why he's allowed but yeah Basically, most of them end up in Valinor. Um, it's a wonderful combination of their friendship as well, Legolas and Gimli. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a really cool blending mm. because they would have done so much in that time. Mm. I think it's like I don't know how many years. I'm guessing at least sixty, seventy years after. Oh yeah, they would have. I heard that even Gimli helps rebuild Minas Tirith. He, he gets his his people to come like from oh. the, from the Iron Mountains and sure. they rebuild the doors of Minas Tirith and they put Mithril on the front of it now, so it's like extra protected. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff happens. But, yeah, that's the... Uh, so get ready for the Legolas Gimli spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like a buddy cop movie where they like go around like solving crimes. It's like Legolas and Gimli, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Rush Hour, but like... Rush Hour, yeah. <laughs> Any other characters? Um, Aemir becomes King of Rohan. Yeah. Faramir is the steward of Gondor. Aemir, uh, Faramir and Eowyn get married. Because yeah, they meet in the house uh, of yeah, healing. they get married. Um, so, so Erwin essentially becomes uh, one of the, well, in Gondor. She settles in Gondor with Faramir, right? Yeah, yeah. because Faramir is a steward of Gondor. And I'm pretty sure Minas Morgul is, well, Aragorn deems it to be inhospitable, so he kind of cordons it off. But they do rebuild it into Minas Ithil again. They, and um, I think Faramir is given Minas Ithil. I think. I think. Yeah, he becomes the first prince yeah. of Ithilien. Ithilien, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Minas Ithil becomes its capital, yeah. Because there's a lot of, like, Gondor provinces that have, like, princes. Yeah. So he, he becomes the first prince of Ithilien after... And he's, he's also the steward. Yeah. 
Nice. It's good. And that's the end of our series of reviews on Lord of the Rings. Well, not quite because we're doing Rings of Power next week, but in terms of the trilogy, that's that's that. Yeah, wow. That's kind of a the uh, the end of all things. It is kind of sad, right? Going to the end of the podcast. I never thought we'd get here, actually. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and um, yeah, Gothmog gets another dismemberment. That's how he does. Oh, yeah. He loses his other arm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Aragorn yeah. destroys him. We couldn't him. finish yeah, without yeah. talking about Gothmog. Yeah. I, just, I, just, I just wanted to make sure that we understood we where he conclude was. conclude that, yeah. Yeah. All right. So if people want to get in touch with us about their thoughts on Lord of the Rings, they they can already do so via TikTok and Instagram when we yes. post reels. But we'll put all the wrong stuff we put in this episode on those reels. Everything yeah. that's incorrect is going to be especially that part I said about the the hobbits and yeah. Tolkien's friends or whatever. Yeah, we've got a couple said. of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got some good content. They'll crucify me on the internet. <laughs> oh man, yeah. we got that. We got the stuff about Gimli. We have got the stuff about Shelob. We'll put put that all yeah. together and. Various. I'll, 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 we'll be crucified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Contact us at cognitive recalibration podcast at gmail.com or on all other platforms at cognitive recalibration. And uh, be sure to follow us on uh, your favorite podcasting service. So give us a review on iTunes or Spotify because that makes us more discoverable on search engines. Okay. Thanks, Basker and Buji, for joining us. You haven't just been guests, you've been really been the stars actually of the last uh, few episodes so thanks thanks a lot for coming and it's um, been a pleasure thanks for inviting us over and uh, yeah making us a part of this which has been uh, quite a journey yes yes and rings of power we'll, we'll see when we get together for that yeah uh, we'd love and, to um, hear you guys your thoughts on it. i know you've got yeah don't invite some me strong opinions <laughs> <laughs> we might need we might need a good critical voice yeah I'm, i i i could be the positive person talking about the positives of it so yeah. i think yeah, i think we'll be it. neutral i still haven't seen it so i have no idea where i sit yeah yeah so be, i'm definitely yeah. gonna sing his graces yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i think we'll be neutral and i think yeah. uh, we'll, are, are we uh, doing the hobbit down the line the we'll hobbit do it building? down the, uh, well uh, probably next year if there's going to be another season for rings of power yeah um we'll do it I'm very unneutral about the hobbit though i don't like the hobbit <laughs> <laughs> i don't like most of the hobbit yeah maybe maybe 10 year anniversary just like doing a lot of the rings so yeah, which is that's already passed. Oh no, isn't it? yeah, twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, so. We have got to maybe do ten year anniversary of the last film, Battle of Five Armies, which, which is twenty fourteen. It came out. Yeah, twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, twenty twenty four. We'll see. Maybe next year or the year after. We'll see when we get to that. But next week we'll be doing Rings of Power, and then we've got other stuff after that. She Hulk. We've got some uh, back to normal, normal yeah. stuff. Yep. Black Adam. I'm looking forward to talking about Black Adam, actually. That's one I'm looking forward to. I'm hearing some stuff about it. Good or bad? Uh, We'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you're all staying safe, and we'll see you in the next one. Namadian. You fucking what? (laughs) Namadian. It's be well in in Elvish. I thought you said Nadi. No. (laughs) Natural stuff. Natural stuff. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.